0: Query and Company 9351075 the fan as you know i am uh, i'm not jake query my name is derek schultz jake is on jury duty today did i hit the wrong button did no, I hit the wrong button is it's, it's a, the mic rearrangement it's the mic do you <laughs> want good, me to switch you're good, switch? Now. You're, good now, no, no, okay. you're, you're live yeah, and hot is, now you know i'm in i'm in jake's two bedroom apartment where he lives alone right now i don't feel all the way comfortable <laughs> so this isn't my house this isn't my stuff so i want to make sure that i'm doing this the right way uh, Jake is at the, are we allowed to, we're allowed to say he's at the courthouse, right? I mean, we can, we can say that as okay. long as you make it clear that he's not the one on arraignment. N- I no, think no, J- yeah. Jake is not in trouble. <laughs> Jake, at, at least not to any of our knowledges, right? That, that, that he is in trouble right now. Um, he is doing his civic duty. Yes. So good for Jake. And I'm not sure I, I didn't have the chance to listen to yesterday's show. Um, I know Jake likes to talk about himself, and this is Quarian Company, so I'm assuming that he brought up the fact that it's like his dream in life to actually get selected for a jury, which he's never done. He has been clear about that, yeah. Okay, so he is probably the only person in there right now that actually wants to get picked, because I just did this a couple of weeks ago, and I didn't want to get picked. I ended up getting picked. It was actually a great experience. It was you know, really fascinating to kind of go through the process and see in this great country where we live, the legal process of it all.
1: So you didn't try to intentionally tank your stock, clearly, because otherwise
0: I didn't um, and, you know, obviously I filled out the sheet and they're like, do you have any, um, you know, issues being on the jury? And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm a, I'm a hugely prominent public figure in the city of Indianapolis, in the state <laughs> of Indiana and, and and the United States of America. I don't think I can serve on this jury because there'd be a conflict of interest. And of course, they're like, wait, who? You, the mayor you know, of Midtown. We I have that. no idea who you are. No? Okay. Um, the other thing that hurt me, Jimmy, um, Eric Holcomb was in my jury pool. Mm. So literally when I was going through the voir dire process... I'm sitting in a seat and directly behind me is the governor. So no one cared about F-list celebrity has been (laughs) part-time columnist guy. They cared the fact, oh my God, the governor is actually in here to get selected for jury duty. So that's where Jake is today. Um, But we've got a lot to get to. It's been... Forever, I was trying to think of the last time. It was well before Jake. Jake was still on mornings, I think, the last time I did this midday show with you guys. And I think, and maybe you have a better memory than me, I think the last time that I did the show with you two was when the day Shane uh, Steichen was hired. Do you remember that? So that would have been a little over a year ago. That would have been February of 23, right? That would fit the timeline. Yeah, okay what you don't remember every show that i've done jimmy what the hell
1: look i have to make the same apology to you that i do every single person that sits in that chair which is the last 14 months have been kind of a blur so i know i don't all the shows kind of run together at this stage well and also know. you know who i'm working with from noon to three so you have to forgive me that sometimes
0: the memories get blended together with the chaos that happens here no, i'm, I'm not going to forgive you you know, uh, know. You, you put me in front of the wrong microphone and then you don't remember the last time i was even in here <laughs> I, you know I thought – we're both Yankees fans. I thought we were buddies. 31 days to opening day. Yeah, apparently (laughs) you don't care about any of that. Eddie, you're still on my good list. We've got Eddie Garrison in in here as well. Um, And a couple of others that are going to be in the company today. Uh, Mike Schumann, who covers IU – for the Daily Hoosier. He's going to join us at 1230. You may not know this because you've probably deleted all of their schedules or you know everything else that you've been planning to do as it pertains to at least IU men's basketball. But technically speaking, IU men's basketball plays a, another basketball game tonight. They're taking on Wisconsin at the Assembly Hall in Bloomington, and, and that's not really a topic because their season is over. It's deader than a doorbell. Um Nothing that happens tonight is going to change the narrative of that season, but obviously it's been a, a big topic because indiana has had a lot of rough seasons over the past 25 to 30 years give or take a few uh this is near the top of the list if it's not number one um and depending on how these last couple of games go i i think there is still an, an outside chance here jimmy that this is the worst team um that we've seen for for indiana maybe in their modern history you might have to go back even before bob knight for the last time that that indiana had a team this bad the, the, the team that i think of and it's only because i have a a deep personal connection to this team so i'm a uh iu graduate full disclosure um the 20 years ago the 0304 team missed the tournament for the first time since the season on the brink year 85 um it's weird to think that Indiana had a stretch once where they made the tournament like 20 years in a row, but Crazy. that's used to be what you expected from Indiana men's basketball, that at the very least they would make the NCAA tournament, which has been a tougher thing to come by here lately. It's just a big ask nowadays. Yeah. Not, not, not possible. Sadly. Anymore that, be um, that team, if I'm not mistaken, I, I should have looked it up. They were either 14 and 15 or 15 and 14. Um, they missed the tournament. It was A.J. Moye's senior year, they were playing George Leach major minutes. recruiting kind of dried up. 14-15. Okay, 14-15. They had the 0-2 run, remember, that kind of came out of nowhere. They went to the title game the next year. uh, They lost Jared Jeffries to the NBA, and they lost Dane Fife and Jared Odle to graduation. But Tom Coverdale, Jeff Newton and uh, Kyle Hornsby all came back, and they were seniors on the 0-3 team, which which was a good year. They uh, they started off real hot. They went a no. It was the famous Mike Davis running out onto the court game against Kentucky, which they ended up losing. That was their first loss of the season. Went to the tournament, won a round of 64 game, and then lost in the second round. Kind of a quiet exit. But then Coverdale and and kind of the last of that 0-2 group outside of Moyer moved on. And so you had like <laughs> Moyet, um Bracey Wright, Marshall Strickland, uh, Patrick Ewing's kid, um, it, it, Roderick Wilmont, it, it was it was not a good team. No offense to Rod Wilmont, who ended up having a decent career, but it, it was not a good basketball team. And that was the last time that I feel like Indiana's put this level of product on the floor. Because even some of the really frustrating bad seasons, 13-14, the Noah Vonley year, that was a really awful basketball team to watch. Any of the four Archie Miller yeah, I mean, teams that's... were pretty much unwatchable. Um, when things got bad at the end of Creen's last year, it got really bad and, and the, everyone had turned on him and and it was a rough watch for the final couple of weeks, but just uh, the way Indiana's played Jimmy, the last three weeks, it's, um, it's about as bad of a level of basketball as I can remember them playing.
1: It's been incredibly disheartening if you're a fan or if you're an alum, like I am of IU basketball, it's, it's a level of frame of mind that I didn't think possible underneath Mike Woodson, especially with how dark the Miller tenure was. And then you suddenly get this beacon of light of two straight NCAA tournament appearances. And okay, it's just going to be a slow build, be back in the tournament every year. And eventually he's going to have a team that's going to make a deep run. And for it to end as abruptly, I mean, not not his era, but for the momentum to end as abruptly as it has this season. And to be so clear and obvious to everybody that it's not a completely bad roster but it's a flawed roster because you don't have the high level guards that you've grown accustomed to that Jalen Hood-Schifino was a year ago and regardless of why they failed in the transfer portal this offseason the prevailing thought on that is people saw Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson and it's like where am I going to get minutes you promise starting minutes to these guys why am I going to come play for you when there's clear players in front of me and then it turned out that Xavier Johnson once again can't stay healthy and Trey Galloway is a finished product at this stage and Gabe Cups is being asked to play a role that is unfair for a freshman anywhere in the country, let alone in the Big Ten. It's at a stage, though, for me, Derek, where a month ago, I was still on the side of, well, it's only year two and a half, and they did lose two NBA players. Mm-hmm. And should this be the biggest surprise to the last, now, 30 days, I'm on Jake's camp now, where it's like, the problem is guards, among other things, and the solution is not in the recruiting class for next year. The solution is going to once again be a dice roll on the transfer portal that you failed to get last year Yeah, to the point that I'm almost ready for as shocked as I am to be even saying this, given where things were just a year ago, that maybe it's time to cut bait and restart all over again.
0: Yeah, I, I think what happened for Mike Woodson, and we'll, we'll do the whole discussion on this, um and sorry if Jake already did this, but I, I just thought I, I would talk about it too. Um I think he made a couple of bad bets. Um it was a bad bet to bet on Trey Galloway and Xavier Johnson. Just yeah. it's it's just a bad bet. Um Xavier Johnson has been a really good player for like eight weeks of his Indiana career, and it was the end of twenty one. The, the, end of, the end of that season that that turned them around and got them barely into the tournament. Remember, they got into the first four, but they won a game and then they got run off the court by St. Mary's. Um, in large part, because of what Xavier Johnson did down the stretch, he was really good. Um, Trey Galloway is a really nice player if he's your sixth guy. Um, and for Indiana, unfortunately, a lot of times this season, he's been like their third guy. and And that's a problem. I I think Indiana's roster has three and a half good players. It has Mbaco, Renew, Ware, and then Galloway on the right night. Um they have no depth. Um, they have a lot of guys who just basically provide nothing. Um, you know, guns not ready, right? I, I was hoping for a little bit more in year two. Uh, Gabe Cups clearly isn't ready. It's a tough situation, but I I you know, even Gabe Cups, like I'm <laughs> I, I'm a little bit disappointed that this is the foundation for them to build on. Like I, w- I was hoping for a little bit more than what does he make like a oh, shot a game. You know, sometimes if you're lucky, that's, that's nice. Um, Anthony Leal has been kind of like found money. It's been nice to have somebody like that. I guess that that's been one of the good stories, but you know, um, Peyton Sparks can't play, <laughs> you know, Anthony Walker. Um, it's just, it's, it's not when you, when you really kind of look at it and you get past, okay, well, this guy was a top 100 recruit. Fine. But when you look at what they've done so far as collegians, you're like, wait a minute. I, I don't I don't really see it. I can't I, stress I don't see it what enough. It is.
1: The stars, the rankings, all of that. It's great on the recruiting trail and it's great to tout when it happens. But the second that the ball is tipped for the first game of the year it doesn't matter anymore. Ultimately, yeah. you could turn a three-star player into a five-star by the end of his college career if you have the right foundation in front of him. So that that's the biggest thing that bugs me with the IU culture sometimes is they get mad like, oh, look at all these four or five stars. We have. Well, it, it ultimately does not matter if you don't have a, a complete roster and B full level of integration of what you want to do. Both offensively and defensively. And it's
0: just it's not even really a defense of Woodson. I'm I'm just trying to lay out the reality of Indiana's situation. Like I, I think we got f- way too far ahead of ourselves with how good this roster look, this is not a thirteenth place Big Ten roster. Okay. No. Um I don't think it's a great roster, but I don't think it's a thirteenth place Big Ten roster. So I, I think that's where you, you hold Woodson to account. And unlike the NBA, where you have a general manager, he puts this roster together. So, if the roster's not good enough and the guys aren't making shots, guess who that falls on? It falls on the guy that constructed the roster. So, you know, you mentioned something, Jimmy, that I, I feel like we've just been beating this drum, I mean, God, for, forever. Like, you know, this Indiana basketball, what's wrong with the Indiana basketball program? This discussion has been going on and on and on. We just can't get past it because Indiana can't get past it. But one of the big things is we don't know who they are or what they want to be. There's no identity. So when you don't have an identity, you you can't find fits. And and you know, you talk about roster construction, the big thing about roster construction is fit and culture and what you're trying to be, playing style, right? Um are we a hard-nosed defensive team? Are we a light up the scoreboard get up and down team? Indiana has gone from trying to be anything and everything over the last 20 to 25 years. You know, under Crean, the teams looked very different than they have so far under Woodson and Archie, where it's this kind of, you know, murder ball, two-point offense, try to win 59-55. And that's not really where... Modern basketball is. I I think the other big critique that I have with Mike Woodson is that you can't just be like literally the worst three point shooting team in the country and expect to have any modicum of success. Um, Sometimes you can get away with that when you have one of the best players in America and one of the best players in program history and Trace Jackson Davis to lean back on. But for the most part, you can't get away with building a team like that where where it's just so difficult to score. Um, I think the other d- game the other day against Penn State, they had something like 60 or, or 55 points in the paint, which generally speaking, you'd be like, oh my God, 50 points in the paint. This is amazing. And it, it didn't matter because they got outscored by 21 from three. <laughs> I mean, they're, 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 they're minus in 18, an NBA, 21, 24. In, in an NBA right?
1: style offense. That yeah. was what was sold when he arrived was it was going to be an NBA up-tempo offense Where's the, where's the three-point shoot? It, it's
0: just, it's so, like, look, I, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I'm some big X's and O's guy. Sure. And, and, you know, I understand the game on, on that kind of level. I don't. I, I'm just like anybody else. I have a very kind of casual understanding of all of it. But watching it, it's, it's not really hard to figure out what teams do with Indiana. Um, they know they're going to go through the bigs, right? So you collapse on that. And you let whoever it is shoot from wherever they want because it's clang, 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 clang. I mean I'll let, I'll let CJ Gunn shoot all day. I, I will and and that's that's not to, you know, No, I've made jokes that Gunn's going to go
1: transfer somewhere and shoot 40% from yeah, beyond the arc it, next it's
0: season. Just like that, that's where it is. You know, you know Mike Woodson had a quote and he said something like um, you know, it's on me and I'm pointing the finger at my, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, yeah. but you guys saw this, we, right? We, we played we played it like three times yesterday, so don't but, worry, the audience but, knows. But but I'm not the one who misses wide open shots and I'm thinking to myself, "Well, Mike, you know, the, the problem isn't that Indiana is missing wide-open shots. It's the fact that they can't make wide-open shots. Like, this isn't an execution problem. This is a talent problem. It, it's not that your players aren't. It's that they can't. They can't do this. And this is the discussion that I kind of want to have with, with Mike when when we have him on here coming up a little bit later on. I, I'm worried, Jimmy, that we're in a situation here kind of like where we just were with IU football, where what befell Tom Allen was that he had no idea what was really wrong with the program. You could tell by his actions, he was throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall, fire this coordinator, fire that coordinator. Uh, we're a running team. We're a passing team. We're a running team. We're a passing team. He didn't know. He had no idea yeah. how to fix. He didn't understand, Hey, this worked for us in 1920. Why isn't this working us working for us now in 21, 22 and 23. And, and I'm worried that, and, you know, uh, Tom Allen's a really nice man. I, I think much he, more he landed highly... on his as, feet.
1: He's a Penn State. It's yeah, fine.
0: I feel much more highly of, uh, or regard much more highly Mike Woodson's coaching acumen than I do Tom Allen. No offense to, to Tom Allen. But I, I don't get the sense that Woodson really understands what the core of the problem here is. I, I don't know if he is honestly evaluating, hey, m- maybe my offense isn't working here, or maybe my attitude towards this isn't working here, or maybe my roster blueprint is not working here. I hope he does. He's gonna have a couple of months to do that because I, I don't think they're gonna let him go. Um I, I think we're on a pathway where it's it it's a coin flip.
1: I think it all it genuinely depends and I keep asking myself why should it matter this aspect of it? I think it ultimately depends how this thing ends. Because if they lose out, like I, I think you need to have a real conversation of okay, how could you not win one game down the stretch?
0: I'll never rule out anything. I never speak in absolutes of sports. Right. Right. You know, Andrew Luck, August, press conference, preseason. Right. You never rule out anything. Snowboarding accident. Right. You hear stuff. You never, never rule anything. That said, um, and I'm not usually this guy, Jimmy. I'm not usually an optics guy. It would be awful, awful optics to fire Mike Woodson after one bad season. It would. Now, look, the people that say, hey, it's not just one bad season, the arrow's pointing directly down. I agree with you. I, I I think there's a very good chance that Indiana is in this exact same spot next year with Woodson, and then he would obviously be hypothetically be on the, the way out, right? So then you've wasted a year. I get that argument, but you gave Archie four, right? You give him three years. He's a program legend. I think we'd be lying to say that the fact also, I don't think this is a main factor, but it is a factor, the fact that he's your second African-American head coach that you've had in men's basketball history as well. I, I think there are a lot of factors at play here. All the people that were clamoring, hey, we want an IU guy, we want an IU guy. Th- then you're going to fire him after one bad year? What's that? You know, the national media who really cares, I guess what the national media says, but you know, guys like Goodman and all those people, they would have a feeding frenzy over that. Indiana fans are ridiculous and the program sucks and blah, 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 blah. It already does. Uh, Um, the
1: The optics are dead anyway. They're a program that is chasing banner number six going on 30 years with it. Like it doesn't it that I get it. I understand that. And that was part of my argument a month ago. But if the thought is and there are people of significance feel this way. There's also people that want to keep him for another year. But if the argument is the arrow is pointing the other way, and I worry it is because there's still no guards in the recruiting class. And who knows? Maybe they thrive in this NIL era and they turn it around in one season by getting high-level guards and assuming Mbaco stays and Renew stays. Like, those are big. You need to retain them for me this offseason. If all that happens and you bring in Liam McNeely, who's their, again, five-star, who, again, doesn't matter once he plays, but that is their most significant recruit, their only recruit in the class next year, if that all plays out, then okay. Maybe things change and it's just one bad year. But as it stands today, on February 27th, the portal's not open, so you don't know how that dice roll is going to go for them. And they have nobody in the pipeline to fix what has plagued them this year, which is bad guard play, among other things with this roster. So, optically, yes, it's bad in the short term, but I would argue just because they gave Archie four years doesn't mean it was right that they gave him four years. They, they just happen to do it. I think, th- I think if you ask
0: people, do you regret giving him four years to try to build a program, they'd probably say yes. I just think, you know, the first two years, you had acceptable to good results. Sure. I mean, this is sad to think about if you're an Indiana basketball fan, but do you know how many times they've been a top four seed in the NCAA tournament this century? I think we're talking about four times. The 0-2 team was a five seed that went all the yeah. way to the title game. I think we're talking about 13, when obviously they were a one seed. 16, they were a four. I think in 12, they were a four. And then last year with Jackson Davis and that group, they were a four. So, last year for IU was one of their five best seasons this century. Right? Sad. Yeah. Sad, but losing in the second round of the tournament... And being a four seed and finishing second in the Big Ten, that was one of their five best seasons. of the, is, is that am I, would, I speaking out I, of school?
1: I would I would argue this is where seeding and success. I don't think you're speaking out of school, but my counterpoint to be that they made a Sweet Sixteen or two under Kareem like that. I I feel well, like that I'm
0: including those though. So I I think clearly this century right 0-2 was the right. best season. They yeah. went all the way to the title game and and all of that. Thirteen number one won the Big Ten outright. Sixteen. Won the Big Ten outright. You were also a four seed. And I'll throw the 12-team the Watford shot, sure. right, had a really good... T- I don't remember what they, they... finished third in the Big Ten that year or fourth, Somewhere maybe. around there, yeah. Yeah, but th- that was a really good yeah. season, right? And I would put this one probably fifth, unless I... Am I yeah, missing probably, one? No, you're probably right. So, I know the expectations are beyond getting boat raced by Miami, a football school in the second round of the right. tournament, but that was that's the results that they produce. And people could say, well, it's Trace Jackson Davis and blah, blah, blah. Sure. Like, I, I, I'm not disagreeing with that. But, you know, we're giving Woodson all of the blame for this season and then none of the credit for next year. I, I Last year, I, I don't want to do that. Um, so I'm not trying to play both sides of the fence here, Jimmy. I, I just think that would you like to see another year? Yes, I think okay. you have to do it. Okay. I, I think you have to give him the other year. It's it's not about whether I would like it. I um, no, no cause, I just because I don't know if I'd like it. Right. <laughs> to be totally honest with you, because I don't think he knows what's wrong, and if you can't identify the issues, then it's really difficult to fix them. And I think that's a big problem. That's my the alarm bell that's ringing the loudest for me is the fact that I'm not entirely sure that Mike Woodson knows how to fix this. Um, but that said, after three years and after the last two years, I, I think you have to give them one more year to try to figure that out. Here's why I'm worried about it from an optics
1: standpoint. You talk about how you know national riders might kill Indiana for firing a pinnacle figure of IU basketball with only three years of an audition given to him. This is what it's like now in year three. From the fan base, from some that cover the team, from you know us on these airways occasionally when it's warranted. I don't want to see Mike Woodson, the player, versus Mike Woodson, the coach, get drugged through the ringer next year if this happens again. Because I would argue this is rather polite, like, hey, I think it's probably time to go, versus we know what happened at the back end of the Crean era. You have people going to... This is the the worst of... This isn't the whole IU fan base. Every fan base has bad fans. But we remember when Crean just trying to watch his son at a CYO game, yeah. and people were chanting... A, you know, against him when he's trying to spend time with his family. I'm with you. Like, ideally, maybe he does deserve another year, but if it turns the way I fear it's going to, this is going to be an ugly 24, 25 campaign. I, I for all involved.
0: If, I, honestly, I wonder if we're already there. I mean, they got booed on their home floor. Yeah. Um, I pay attention to a lot of the IU media circles, and it, so I, I'm well aware of what's being said in some of the podcasts and other areas. You know, Assembly Call and Tony, and and a lot of people that follow the program, sure. who, I, who I follow along, and I respect their opinions too. I don't always agree, but I respect. You know, and I, I I feel like I have a good pulse on what, where the fans are, and I think. You know, the fans are, you know, God, Greg Doyle, the stars, right? He's, he's lighting Woodson on fire too. So the media, the fans, I I think we're already kind of in the, in the situation where it's turned, but you're right. It can always get worse. I mean, it, it could get to the point where, um, the the, the all time example for this in, in Indiana men's basketball history is when Mike Davis essentially called out sick for that Iowa game <laughs> because there was a protest scheduled to to keep him as head coach. I mean that that got really bad, and he was the one that was treated the worst out of any of these IU coaches. Even though all of them have some horror stories, including Crean, which was really unfortunate. With was it Riley? Was that his son's name? I, I think? think so. Yeah. Um, you know, beyond the pale, right? To yeah. to be treated that way. And I hope we don't get there with Woodson. We shouldn't get there with anybody, but I, I hope that the fans don't get there with Woodson when considering what he's done for Indiana and the fact that he signed up to do this and came back and wanted to put it on his shoulders and, and try to save it. Even even if he does so in a failing effort, I've, I think... And somewhat, he should be applauded for that, honestly. Um, cause it's, it's as much as people want to say that Indiana is an easy place to win and they've got all these advantages and all of that. If it was such an easy place to win, then somebody would have done it the last quarter century, honestly, consistently. Um, Indiana's had bright spots and all of that, but then they've immediately gone back into the tank. I mean, look at last season, they, they, they swept Purdue. Um, Last season, for all intents and purposes, and, and I know they were picked to finish better and they, they dealt with some injuries, but if you take into account the injuries and all of that, I, I think that last season was a really good season. Like I said, I, I think it's one of the top five to six seasons that Indiana has had this century. And then this season has been as bad as any season that they've had the last 25 years, but I, I just can't I can't write it all off for one. It's magnified for me because it felt so impossible to get here.
1: Like, in, in this boat, had you asked me, like, Maybe with Miller, I wouldn't have seen it bad, either. Bad. Yeah. Right, because yeah. of how bad it's been and how quick it's happened. And that's the other point from like my seat. I am not one that has spent any of this season, other than the last two weeks, on this now chair of, I. it might be time to move on. I wanted to be able to defend Mike Woodson and think about, yeah, give him another year. And they lost two players to the NBA. Like, What do you expect to happen? But at the same time, some of his public comments about not knowing that Jalen Hodge was going to, leave the draft or putting or leave for the draft or putting all your chips in Xavier Johnson, or the comments the other day where if he just would have put a period in that sentence, he's actually taking accountability, but you have to have a comma instead and say, oh, but I'm not the one taking the shots. The way this is spiraling, it, it's it's tough for me to say I want to see another year.
0: Yeah, this not, discussion the season's not over yet. This wouldn't even happen if Indiana was having even Minnesota season right now. Yeah, seventeen ten, whatever they are. I think they're are they eight and eight in the Big Ten. They're right in the middle of the Big Ten. Like I, I think people would have been, you know, th- there's that section of the fan base that wants to see them like contend for Final Fours every year, even though obviously it's not realistic. But for the most part, I think people would have been fine with that as as a bridge year to whatever's next. But. You know, now who knows if he's going to get the bridge. We'll talk more about it with Mike Schumann, Daily Hoosier. He joins us next. Plenty still more to get to NFL Combine. we got Stephen Holder today. We'll talk a little Pacers with Dustin Dopierak. Just getting started. It's Company, 93.5, 5, 107.5 The Fan. You guys know this. Jake's taste in music is like prehistoric. So I tried to liven it up a little bit. Now, I, I say his is prehistoric. Mine is probably like 10 or 15 years more current than his, which still is kind of prehistoric, at least probably to you guys, but we're going to try to do just all hip-hop instrumentals today. I saw a so. J. Cole song in the set list. So you're not fully uh Yeah, there we go. Okay, so yeah. Go. All work. right. All right. Yep. Trying to be cool with the kids. Um, <laughs> I guess I didn't mention this, but today is my birthday, so- um, Is it really? This is technically a birthday show for me. Have, yeah. a, birthday. Have a birthday. Yeah. Uh, my Dirk day, 41. So- it sucks because I it, we we did 40 last year and it was a big deal. Like my wife got Bottleworks Sweet or whatever and invited a bunch of friends and we had like a surprise thing. And it was it was really cool. We actually watched IU Purdue that night. And now you're here and, with us. Um, yeah, now I'm hanging with you, <laughs> you idiots. No, I love hanging with you guys. It's cool to do this. But I knew Jake would um, want me filling in on my birthday because he doesn't want to be near me during my birthday. He doesn't like anything that doesn't directly involve him or celebrate him he doesn't like anybody else getting (laughs) celebrated which i understand indiana taking on wisconsin tonight Uh, that's not really newsworthy what's newsworthy is where the program is and we invite on into the company mike schumann he is of the daily hoosier and he joins us now on the guest line corian company 93.5 and 107.5 the fan mike jake's out for jury duty today so before we get started I, i was just curious um have you ever I'm assuming you've been summoned for jury duty. Have you ever actually been selected for a jury?
2: I have never been selected. And happy birthday, by the way. Um, When I was... I remember... Going downtown when I was eighteen, and they asked a couple questions. I must have answered them the wrong way, and I was on my way. And I've never been summoned <laughs> back.
0: <laughs> my wife's like that, where she got—I think she got summoned once, and then hasn't been summoned. I, I've been summoned like four times. You know, they say every two years. I, I think they've kept that cadence with me. Like I always get that big yellow postcard in the mail, like almost every two years on the dot. And I actually got selected. It was—it was a neat process. But we'll see what happens here with Jake. Um, not a lot to say about. Tonight's game, um, I, I think you knew that we weren't going to have you on to kind of preview the matchup because even if Indiana would find a way to win against Wisconsin, which has been um, tough for them to do given the series history over the last, really this this entire century, um, I wanted to talk about kind of the state of the program and, and, and sort of how we got here because this is uh, a much different place than where Indiana was you know, even four or five weeks ago when, yeah, they were struggling. And I think the writing was on the wall that this was not going to be a season where they they um, accomplished some of the goals that they set out to do. But then the, the bottom has since fallen out. I, I guess kind of taking the, the long view and when we're talking about where this team ranks historically, and they still have a couple of games to play to play out of this, if you take out Tom Crean's first three seasons, Mike, just because of what he inherited and all of that, the context of it, do you have to go back to that o three o four team? I mean, is is that the gold standard of bad Indiana basketball teams? Maybe before this twenty three twenty four group.
2: Yeah, it, it's no doubt that it that's one of them. It, it's right there. You know, another one I would throw in would be Archie's second team with with Romeo and and Juwan Morgan. Um, you know, obviously the analytics like that team a lot better than this current one. But if you will recall, that team had a 12 of 13 game losing streak in the middle of the big 10 season. So that, that there's a lot of uh, similarities in that season for me uh, to this one, just as the season just grinds on. And it's just kind of the misery of reporting the same thing game after game after game, or so it seems, but, but yeah, if you just take a step back and do pure analytics on this team, um, you know, sites like Ken Palm or Torbic, they, they you know the the data just absolutely hates this team, um, and and I think a big reason why is and what's really standing out is different from this edition of IU basketball from years past is just the way that they're losing. I mean, I, I don't recall, and it's something I want to research here later in the week. Is I don't recall this many blowouts, yeah. uh, blow, blowouts at home, blowouts on the road. It, it doesn't really matter. Um, they're they're just not competitive, and it's because you know they they're not good offensively the defense has taken a major step back so there's just not a lot a lot to like with this team and if you if you purely look at the analytics on those kind of sites they will tell you if you do as you said uh forget about those three cream years this is the worst team you know going back all the way to the Bob Knight era
0: we know that uh everyone knows i think this roster's limitations they're glaring and they're obvious their lack of shooting um, their lack of depth Uh, we can go on and on and on about all the it's easier in fact it's much easier to list all the things that Indiana does poorly than the things that they do well Um, does it still surprise you Mike that we're here given the talent level just didn't you think that at least I did I, I thought they'd be able to squeeze a little bit something more just based on the fact that seemingly these are supposed to be capable basketball players but there's just no cohesion or flow or anything like that
2: yeah, you go back to the off season, and you know you you listen to the national folks. I, I listen to them. I don't always agree with what they're saying, but the the narrative in the off season was that this was a poorly constructed roster, and and, and that made sense to me at the time. But you know you got to let things play out. Um, but but that has absolutely been the the case over the course of the season. And you you know I'll go all the way back to the first half of the first exhibition against the University of Indianapolis when. When Indiana trailed at halftime of that game, um, that was the first red flag, and you you write it off at the time, and you say, "Well, it's an exhibition game; who cares?" But um, nothing has really changed from that standpoint. I mean, it's just been a team that just hasn't fit well together. Um, they, you know, they've got the dominant front court, at least at times, it's dominant, um, but the backcourt is just not there offensively. But it's just not a team that functions cohesively in, in any way shape or form and it's just continued out through the course of the season. And so it's um, yeah, it's been one of those things where um, people said it during the off season and it's actually absolutely manifest uh, throughout the course of this year.
0: Was it too many eggs in the Xavier Johnson, Trey Galloway basket? I, I know it's lots of things, but is that one of the, if you're making all the bad bets that Indiana made this year, was that maybe the bet, the worst bet or the, or the one that paid off the least?
2: I mean, in the sense that if if you're looking to them to be your dynamic playmaking scores offensively, yeah. I mean, I, if there was one absolute miss during the off season, it's that Indiana didn't land a uh, a scorer in the backcourt. Um, you know, Trey Galloway didn't come into the season with a history of being, you know, a volume scorer, a guy that you could just give the ball and say, "Hey, go get 24 every night." And Xavier Johnson's not that guy either. Both of them of shown flashes of being able to do it, but they absolutely needed to land a guy, and it's easy to say in hindsight now, but like a Dalton Connect or a Caleb Love, guys that they, you know, to some level did try to, to land in the offseason out of the transfer portal. If, if you had a healthy Xavier Johnson all season with a player like that and the rest of this team, I think we're talking about a, a pretty different scenario. Obviously, that's easy to say, right? But um, to, to just try to go into this year with, with Johnson and Galloway and, and think that you're 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 going to shoot the ball well, um, get enough production out of your backcourt on a night-to-night basis. I don't think there was any indication going in that that was a reasonable expectation.
1: Mike Schumann of the Daily Hoosier is our guest. Mike, there's whispers now at this stage, whether or not they lead to anything or not, who knows, that's for higher powers that be. But there are at least whispers of people that matter of, is this worth running it back another year or is it time to part ways? Have, Have you... What's your sense of the job security right now for Mike Woodson? And to piggyback off of that, what is he as a coach playing for these last four or five games, including the big 10 tournament, or is it, Hey, just run him back out there, see what happens, but he's safe next year, regardless of how the rest of these games end.
2: Man, that that is so complicated right now. Like I, I wrote after the first Penn State loss, you guys remember they got blown out on their home court by Penn State. It's like, you know, if they can't beat Penn State at home, and can't even really be competitive, you know, who are they going to beat the rest of this season? And they did turn around and beat Ohio State the next game, despite trailing in that one by 18. But, But the point was, you know, if you lose out, which they're, you know, practically speaking that they have a good chance of doing that still and what does that look like you're talking about you know from a record standpoint we mentioned the analytics it's one of the worst seasons ever with you know yeah we we talked about the holes on the roster but there's still a lot of talent uh what does that look like what does it mean and to your point you know now what are you playing for uh going forward it's it's not real clear because Here's here's what I'm struggling with with this team right now, and you know when the when the calendar turns to March 18th and it's portal season, um, one way or another, Indiana's going to have to make a decision on what they're going to do because you can't turn the calendar to March 18th go out into the transfer portal with with questions about your head coach. Whatever Indiana did wrong during last transfer portal season, even if they learn their lessons and they, they have a good plan going into this portal season, if they do it with questions about their head coach and uh, recruits and transfers aren't really sure what the situation is, that that's not a good situation. So I think Indiana, one way or another, is going to have to decide here real quick. Either we're moving on or we're going to have to find a way to you know say publicly that that mike woodson is our guy and and we support him going forward so um you know i think that would be easier to do to answer your question about these last four games it would be easier to do if we saw some sign of uh improvement you know some sign that if xavier johnson returns that that really was one of the major issues uh so, something that indiana can kind of uh, point to and say Woodson's our guy it didn't go well but but here's why and and, and we're sticking with him
0: we're joined by Mike Schumann the com, and at daily underscore Hoosier on x and twitter um Mike I, I was way out on Tom Allen so maybe this is not quite apples to apples with Woodson because I'm, I'm not ready to give up on him yet but where I fear they may be similar is that I and Jimmy and I just talked about this I'm not sure if either of them know what the core problems are. Like, you know, Tom Allen constantly made coaching changes. He threw a bunch of stuff against the wall to figure out how to fix his program, but I I never really felt like he grasped what the core issues were. Um, Does Woodson, because he he must know that the problems go beyond just guys missing open shots.
2: Yeah, and it's interesting. I mean, we all asked the question when he was hired, you know, how is he going to transfer from a career in the NBA to the college game where he literally had no experience as a coach. And and if you want to give him the benefit of the doubt in, in that regard, it's like he, he didn't even really know what he was getting into, you know, once he had him. Because if you recall the the timing of, of NIL and when that became a thing, that was just a few months after he took over. Mm-hmm. So he, he stepped into a completely different situation than, than he even really thought he was going to at the time. So, you know, he's had the, you know, he's had to learn to function, you know, like every other college coach. So I, I guess it's not, you know, necessarily saying that, that he has an excuse there, but, 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 he didn't know what he didn't know at the time. And it only got more complicated. And so now you're talking about a situation that looks a lot like NBA free agency to me, which I, you know, I'll be the first to admit I've written over the last three years that that ought to be a situation that he can thrive in. Cause it is more familiar for, for someone with his background, but you know it's so much more complicated than that. It's it's the um, you know the importance of every game in a thirty-one game season versus eighty-two. It's the the X's and O's. It's the um, you know the the amount of time and energy that that has to be put into recruiting and transfer portal and and roster management that an NBA guy doesn't really have to spend as much time with. Um, I, I think there's just a lot there that. That I, you know to answer your question, I don't know what what he knows or if he knows enough, but there there's certainly some coherent arguments to suggest that if he's gotten in and bit off a little bit more he could than he can chew here, and we're seeing that throughout college basketball. We're seeing a lot of veteran guys that say, "Man, this thing is just." changed so dramatically from from what we used to know and we've seen guys like Jay Wright and, and others step out so um, you know it certainly could be the case that, that he's just kind of you know I hate to say in over his head but you know that, that's kind of a possibility anyway
1: How much did the presence of Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway on this roster in your mind impact their ability to seal guys in the portal last year?
2: I you know if you ask me what they needed more than anything was a volume-scoring shooting guard. Like I mentioned, Dalton Connect, and Caleb Love. I, I don't think those guys would have impacted that at all. I, I can't tell you why they missed on, you know, not just those guys, but really anybody that kind of fits that building. I, I don't think anybody was looking at, at at those guys and thinking, I can't find a role on this team. Um, uh, you know, certainly Xavier Johnson, if they wanted to land a point guard, you know, he was a – in, in essence, a five-year starter coming back for a six-year that that complicates things a bit. But um, you know, I, I I don't think that you know we, we saw guys go to very crowded locations where playing time wasn't clear. Um, you know, for for whatever reason, Indiana just wasn't prepared and didn't do a good job during last year's transfer portal season. There there's stories and rumors that I won't won't share on on public radio about know why some people feel like uh they they didn't have success in the portal but um i've heard the suggestions about xavier johnson and trey Galloway, and i I just don't really think that's it i mean maybe on the margin it wasn't helpful but i don't think that's the the larger story
0: we're talking with mike schumann the dailyhoosier.com um last thing here mike when we talk about you know kind of where the program is and and where it's going um as you mentioned it's a much different atmosphere this time with with nil and th- there's the ability for quote unquote the quick fix even though i think we'd all agree that indiana needs to build something that's sustainable that's been their big problem this century where they've had some good seasons they just haven't been able to build upon those is there added urgency or i guess frustration is a given the fact that it, it just seems like you know, I was having this conversation with with a buddy of mine. Um, every other sport is cooking right now, right? Softball, volleyball, uh, women's basketball. Obviously, the baseball team has been incredible. Swimming and diving just had a tremendous finish to win the Big Ten, and it just feels like everything is working right now at Indiana, except the two revenue sports. And um, you know, that that kind of fueling the fire, if you will. I, I get that Indiana basketball fans are passionate. I, I guess no matter what, but when you see all of these other sports thriving, um, I feel like there's even more of a Thirst to to want to turn it around for the two main level programs.
2: Yeah, there's no doubt about that. I mean, look, I mean, it, they they made the change with football, and the narrative has completely changed along with it. Now, of course, if if Indiana lays an egg at the start of the season in the fall that that narrative will completely flip back to what we've been accustomed to over the last hundred years sure uh, be that as it may they they made the change and and you mentioned all those other non-revenue sports I mean you look at them and I'll, I'll highlight women's basketball it's kind of the marquee one you know what what changed with women's basketball it's obvious I mean that was a program that was a perennial, you know, at best, middle-of-the-road team uh, doormat at times. No no real history, no real anything to lean on. We're drawing like 1,000, 2,000 people a game. And what changed? It was Terry Moran. I mean, a coach can dramatically change the situation i don't think i'm saying anything profound when when i say that it's, it's just obvious and if you look up and down all those other programs that you mentioned that's been the constant so i mean it, it's just it's, it's the elephant in the room right now and like you said or like i said they, they made the change with football everything changes the, the day you do it and now we're at that serious inflection point with the basketball program as well
0: at daily underscore Hoosier on X and free IU coverage, the daily Hoosier.com. Mike's a great follow and does great work covering the Hoosiers. Thanks so much, Mike. Really appreciate the time and um, try to make it through, I guess, these next whatever it is, four or five games.
2: (laughs) Will do, Derek. Appreciate it. Happy birthday.
0: Thanks a lot. Appreciate that. It's Mike Schumann of the Daily Hoosier. We come back. uh, We'll re-rack the big headlines of the day and coming up at one o'clock, we'll shift the conversation to the NFL. Combine is in town. We'll talk Colts' needs and more with Stephen Holder of ESPN when we return. It is query and company. I got to make sure that I don't say query and something else here. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks again to Mike Schumann joining us at com. Top of the hour, so about 10 minutes from now we'll have Stephen Holder on of ESPN. We'll talk a little Colts. We'll talk Combine and all of that. Um my hottest take about the Combine guys, and I've always felt this way, even though it is cool to have it here, right? I, I love the fact that it's here and the economic impact. Same. And to, to go downtown and, and the Mile Square and see, like, guys with the Cowboys logos on their shirts or whatever, or see famous people at St. Elmo, or whatever. It, it's it's neat. Um, it really is, like, the most overdone thing, sporting event. I don't even know if it's a sporting event. Have you watched the I, you draft? Know, <laughs> I, I have I have a buddy that's in <laughs> Vegas that does radio in Vegas, and he's okay. here He's doing a show from Radio Row That's at the awesome. Combine. That's and I'm awesome. like, dude, what are you what are you doing here?
1: And do you think he's like between breaks at the Winter uh, circle? Yeah, or, I mean, at, uh, or do you think he's at Indiana Grand? How do you think he an, fills NF- the time?
0: NFL is King Kong, right? I get it. It's a big deal. People can't get enough of it. But the, the fact that we're here, that the Combine is this big of a deal now, is just crazy to me because – and not to date myself. I guess it's my birthday, so I'm feeling old. But I, I'm old enough to remember – Twenty years ago, not even twenty years ago, fifteen years ago, this thing was like real, like hush hush, and the only people that were really inside the combine were the scouts and the teams and the players, and then the agents were kind of on the outside, and it wasn't open to media. It certainly wasn't open to fans that's or anything the part like that's that. wild to me.
1: And. The fan part's weird for me. Yeah,
0: I I went. You, I've, I've gone? gone as a fan before too, and like, and you get there and you're like, what is this? The people that go, I admire the heck out of yeah. it because I it's it's not it's not for me. Like I like covering it, it but, it's, but the, it's not fun at all. No, it, uh, for for anybody, if you, if you're like thinking about going to the combine or you want to get tickets or whatever else. It's like the least fun viewing experience ever. I mean, I'm guess I'm glad I I did it to say that I did it. It was the COVID year. So it was like three weeks before COVID where I went oh. and, um, and we got in there and then, you, you know, you sit in your seat and then they're going through the drills. And after like five minutes, you're like, can, can we go grab a beer somewhere? You know what I mean? Like I, I, I didn't, I didn't see the point of it all, but um, I'm glad that it's here. It keeps staying here because I think, Folks keep telling the NFL, hey, please don't move it. We know what to expect. I know Indy isn't... Today is nice outside, but I know it's not the most balmy climate of the year in late February. But we have all the infrastructure. You know what to expect. There are no surprises. You put this in a place like L.A. Well, that's and, what Mike yeah. chapel predicted yesterday is what might happen
1: is the league one of these years is going to try to move it. It's going to go terribly. And then they'll be like, oh, yeah, hey, they'll, listen, they'll come we, back oh, forever. we yeah. messed up. That's our bad.
0: The draft I get. The draft they absolutely should take on the road. The draft should be the traveling road show. That's yeah. a wonderful idea. That's, a, that's an event that you can hold just about... Anywhere, but the combine, I I think you need to kind of keep here. So uh, workouts begin on Thursday. Media availability for Chris Ballard and Shane Steichen tomorrow. I think what's kind of interesting about this, Jimmy, is that nothing really happened in between the loss of the Texans and now. Like when the media talks to Ballard and Steichen, I think it's going to be rehashing some of the same things and talking about, hey, what are you looking for in the draft and all that? They didn't sign a quarterback. They didn't trade for a quarterback. They didn't cut a quarterback. They didn't hire a head coach. I mean, think about all the things that they've done in between the end of the season and the start of the combine the last couple of years. They've done a lot. And this year, they didn't really do anything.
1: Beat Riders can kind of take a breath or two. But I would say the over-under is at five and a half for Michael Pittman Jr. questions asked because that's your main entree at this stage to your point because not a ton else has happened other than hey your franchise level wide receiver is there are you going to let him test the open market or are you going to place the tag on him and call it a day give me the under
0: under, under see, see I, think right. gonna, I think they're going I think they're going to extend him
1: before or before
0: the tag closes in a week I mean, it, you know, if, if Pittman wants something crazy, then maybe sure. maybe you play with that. But um no, I, I think they're gonna do what they can to extend him. I, I know yes, that they bis- should the business play is the franchise tag is a bargain for him. Twenty one million is a bargain. Yeah. And he knows that and the Colts know that. Going through what they went through with the Taylor situation last year, I, I don't think they want to, you know what, in anybody's Cheerios this time around. Yeah. I don't think they want to do that. Um they have the money. He's very valuable to what they do. I get it. He's not... Look, he's not Tyreek Hill. Okay, fine. Um, He's not a keep-you-up-at-night guy, and he probably never is going to be. But he's hugely productive. He's healthy a lot of the time, and he's reliable. And there's something... And you have nothing else. Don't get me wrong. I I like Josh Downs. Um... (laughs) I'm one of the few people that's still holding out hope for Alec Pierce. God love you. You really don't have anything else. <laughs> yeah. So he's your guy. So just go ahead and pay him. It, the fact that the cap went way up, I think helps too. I mean, I would expect certainly Stewart and Pittman Jr. I, I'd put Kenny Moore at like 80-20. The, the one guy that I think they'll be a little bit on the fence with is Blackman. Yeah. Because um, of the injury history. Right. Um, but he came back and had a really nice season before he got hurt again. and again, they've got nothing there at safety, and they need that veteran presence. So uh, this is, to me, guys, a uh, a fascinating free agent class. This is about, this is the most heavy hitters that I can remember the Colts having in a free agency class. Within their own, like, yeah yeah Yeah, that's yes, what I mean, for sure. You got a lot of different
1: playmakers at different positions. I'm with you, though, if I was ranking them. Michael Pittman Jr., Grover Stewart, and then depending on where you're at with, with Kenny Moore, maybe giving a look at Julian Blackman if you think he's not, going to be fully injury prone the rest of his career if you think there's value there then yeah I'm setting myself up for disappointment because I would like for them to be just super aggressive on offense and free agency and go re-sign Pitt and then go get another weapon I I don't think that's going to happen but hey it's nice to dream
0: yeah I don't think they're going to (laughs) change it'd be (laughs) nice if they did everything differently philosophically uh, they've done I, I will I think they'll be more aggressive but you know if if Chris Ballard in free agency is the old lady doing uh, 45 miles an hour in the far left lane on 65. Asking him to be more aggressive is just bringing him up to 55 in the left lane. The old lady, right? That That's kind of where we are with him. Can I, we I get think behind a, him and put the flashers aggressive, on? Aggressive, yeah. I try like, not to, I try not to be on? that guy. No, okay, I right. try not to, but sometimes, you know, sometimes I do the little like, swerve to the side a little bit get and the see more. So like, hey, do d- d- you see me back here? Hi. <laughs> Can I get by? Um, you know, I grew up back east and We are horrible, horrible drivers. That is one thing that I'll readily admit about myself. But out here, people are crazy, man. Especially on the (laughs) highways. It's nuts. Let's run down the headlines real quick before we get to Stephen Holder. We mentioned the NFL Combine. Pacers fall uh, to Toronto... So one thirty one twenty two, not a great effort for that game. Tough fourth the um, quarter, yeah. Dustin Dopirac will will join us to talk about that. Probably Tyrese Halliburton's worst game yeah. at least so far this season. Ben Matherin had a great game, matched the career high with thirty four. But those Sega Babas have been tough for the Pacers. They're now um, two and nine thanks to Eddie Garrison in Sega Baba, second game of a back to back. That was I really how they scheduled say that. loss, That's awesome, really which is tough. I don't know if anyone says that anymore, honestly. It's a term that I started using like four years ago, and Jake hates it, so I'm on. I'm in his house. I'm on Noted. his show. I'm going I'm to make a note of Sega that for Baba. the okay, all right. Second game of a back-to-back. There's only one more, Jimmy. Oh, all right. Well, all season. Wow. Yeah. That's good because they've not performed well. No, the, no one not. No one performs well in Sega Babos. So they're, they're tough. Uh, Hoosiers and Wisconsin tonight as Mike Woodson faces the fires from fans. I don't even know what the tip time is. Seven? Is it a seven game? Is it, it's Peacock. I know that it's not, which is probably better for a lot of people not to get it. And then, um, you know, something that's, I think interesting, especially with the way that the Colts approach the Jonathan Taylor situation. It it doesn't look like Saquon, Josh Jacobs, or Tony Pollard are going to get tagged, which means they're all going to be free agents. And this running back free agent class is crazy. It's, you know, you've got those three and then Swift. Um, and then you've got like the veteran pool, uh, Ezekiel Elliott, I think is going to be a free agent. Um, the fact that they're not even getting what is it i think 12 million is the tag um shows how which, other teams are which inversely with backs. that
1: we talk about with wide receivers 21.8 is your starting salary yeah. because that's the tag for wide receivers if you're not getting tagged for 12 million those yeah. offer sheets per year you're looking at eight 9 maybe 10 million Taylor should that-
0: be happy that yeah. he got he yeah. got his for sure and the Colts I think the Colts did him a solid a little bit yeah. uh when it comes to that. Stephen Holder espn.com talking NFL with us next on Querying Company. Welcome back. Hour number 2 Querying Company 9351075 5, The fan filling in for a possibly sequestered right now Jay Query. I'm Derek Schultz. Eddie Garrison is here. Jimmy Cook, so the usual suspects as part of the company and joining us now is a guy that has become very good friends with Jake over the past couple of years and he also covers the Colts for ESPN but I'm going to start with the friendship part because I'm not jealous at all Steven that I see your videos on Instagram and I recognize those seats that you're sitting in for the Pacers games and it feels like you're in those seats a lot and I was just wondering because we're also friends if maybe once in a while when you're sitting in those seats that I'm discussing about you would um nudge the person that brought you to that game with those seats and say hey you know your buddy Derek really likes NBA basketball maybe you offer him one of these tickets one of these nights how about it
3: fair fair yeah definitely fair um you know you know what you need in your life you need more Toronto Raptors games for sure yeah you definitely need more of those Uh, (laughs) uh, the truth is he he pays me to be his friend that's that's what we have an arrangement I knew it um you know, I, I I have a certain cool factor, and he you know he wants to be associated with that, and so yeah, that's our arrangement. You know, and I, I won't disclose the sum. You know, because uh, that's just not proper to do that. But um, but yeah, we have an arrangement. Yeah. So it, it, it works out for us. Yeah.
0: It's just like the Knicks games. You know, they got Seinfeld and Spike Lee at the Garden, and we've got <laughs> Stephen Holder and Jake Query uh, courtside for all the Pacers games. So it's, basically, it's basically, how it works. Yes. Um, yeah. This has been, I know you took a vacation as well. This has been kind of a, a nice little break. No, I, I feel like nothing has happened for the Colts between that disappointing end of the Texans game and the start of the combine. And and it feels like it's been a really long time since nothing happened in the, whatever it's been five, six, seven weeks of that time period, considering all the quarterbacks and hiring Shane Steichen last year, Uh, a little bit all quiet on the Western front. No. I mean, yeah, mostly I will say it's funny. A lot of times, I
3: don't even take off this time of year because you're afraid, like all hell's going to break loose, sure. you know, before the combine. And so this year I decided to, to roll the dice. Now, of course, then there were like, to be completely serious, there were like concerns about Jermursey and like, is he okay? Yeah. And I was, I was wondering, like, okay, am I going to be out of the country and get a phone call that, like, you know, hey, like this something took a turn for the worse and all that. So about a week before I was scheduled to leave for vacation, um, he sent out that tweet that he was on the mend. And I was, I was very happy for that in and of itself. Don't get me wrong, but I was also happy because I was like, all right, well, cool. Like maybe things are okay and we can, we can sleep at night now. So um, yeah, it has been quiet. It it has been. Um, I don't have any wood to knock on as I say that. Uh, But, but it's also, you know, I think, it's going to be interesting because their, um, their off season activity is actually coming up. And and that's the thing. They typically are pretty quiet in free agency and they still might be, but they have their own free agents, the Colts do to deal with. And I think this Michael Pittman, for example, negotiation is going to be very interesting. And I think that's going to be a big story unto itself here, not to mention, you know, the remaining free agents, guys like Kenny Moore and, and Grover Stewart and et cetera. So, it's interesting that I think their they're busy part of the offseason is now upon us in the coming weeks as opposed to in January, which is probably for the better because if you're busy in January, that means things went poorly.
0: Before we start with the combine, let's go ahead and begin there with free agency because you're right. I mean, it's a fascinating. I can't remember the last time the Colts had an in-house free agent class like this. Um, yeah. it, it's been a long time. Um, the Pittman Jr. situation, does. does what happened with Jonathan Taylor and how – seemingly bad that got for a while there before, obviously, the situation was, was remedied and everybody walked away happy. Does that play into how they handle this at all, Stephen?
3: Um, I, I don't think so. I think the the situation or the circumstances are really different. And they're different in a couple of ways. Number one, the, the positions are different. Sure. You know, just the, the way those positions are viewed. I, I mean, most people who watch football understand that, right? I mean, we know where running backs are today, which is why. Jonathan Taylor took the stance that he took, whether we agree or disagree is immaterial. Um, It's it's understandable, right? Whether we, however we view it, Um, because that's what you had to do to get paid at that position. Uh, And wide receiver, you have much more demand. And uh, he, you know, Michael Pittman has nothing but upside in terms of, you know, from a financial perspective, it's, it's nothing but upside. So, so, so that makes it less, Acrimonious because he knows he's going to get paid. It's just a matter of who's going to step up and do it. Is it going to be Indy? Is it going to be somebody else? So Michael Pittman's sleeping just fine at night because he knows he's going to have a lot of zeros in his bank account very soon. The only question is where. Uh, and then the other difference is that you know he he has the upper hand here. You know he's the one that's entering free agency. He has the upper hand until he doesn't, you know, if they decide to, to franchise him, obviously. But uh, he's in a strong position, at least uh, for the time being as well. So much different circumstances, It's just why I I separate this situation from Jonathan Taylor's situation.
1: Colts beat writer for ESPN, Stephen Holder, is our guest. Stephen, you have a piece up on ESPN.com released yesterday. Will Colts buck tradition and franchise tag Michael Pittman Jr. to continue this conversation that we're having on Pitt? And in it, you outline the fact that based on what Michael Pittman Jr. has said publicly, and I'm quoting your story for this question, unless the offer from Indianapolis is far and away better than anything Pittman can realistically expect on the market, he seems destined to shop his talent to other teams. You also highlight the fact that it's been since Pat McAfee 11 years ago that the Colts placed a franchise tag on a player. We've asked this question different ways the last couple of months, but just to reassert it, there's not a world where they, the Colts, sit there and say, well, he clearly wants to test the market and we haven't used the tag in 11 years, so let's let this play out because we think we can still retain his services. We're still in the boat where if they feel like they can't retain him, they just tag it and then continue to work, right? There's no way he hits the open market.
4: I mean,
3: I <laughs> I never say never, but it doesn't it doesn't make any sense to me that you would do that. I know what I would do, certainly. They didn't ask me, but if they did, I would tell them, well, you're going to tag them, right? Because you're not idiots. <laughs> but I, I also think that... I'll, let me choose my words carefully. I think the Colts, to a degree, take offense to the idea like, hey, you don't have any choice here because you don't have weapons. Now, that I think that's largely true. I think they have weapons but they're very they're vastly inferior to michael pittman but there is a little bit of sentiment there a little bit that like hey hey hey, hold on like we can we'll figure things out if we had to but that might also just be there might be some posturing there you know what i'm saying because yeah. that's what you do when you know when you're having to possibly lay out a hundred million dollars you um you know you you try to you try to stick your chest out and say ah we're fine you know <laughs> but i um I do anticipate that he's gonna get franchised. Not because someone told me that. I just looking at the situation, I think it just it's the only it's the only sensible outcome that I can come to right now. I don't see them reaching a deal uh by what, I think we got about a week left before uh the, the franchise tag deadline or a little more than a week. I would be very surprised if there's a resolution before that. Uh particularly when you factor in Michael Pittman's uh, stated approach to this he has been very clear as I as I laid out in the story and then then you know just the, the fact that the Colts have uh he, he has been targeted in the last three years as I laid out in the piece in the last three years he's been targeted I think 26 percent of the time by Colts quarterbacks so one out of every four pass attempts over the last four of the last three years have gone to Michael Pittman. That I believe is eighth highest in the NFL. So so tell me again how he's not all you have. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Like you have other guys, but clearly you don't have the same level of faith in them because all of your quarterbacks throw the ball to Michael Pittman. That's all I'm saying.
0: What's your confidence level that they would eventually reach an extension before the season started, Stephen? Um, I think
3: I think they, if they franchise them, I think you, you have to do that. I Well, I guess have, have to is the wrong word. You don't have to do anything. But I, I just don't see what you accomplish by playing that out. You know, you're going to have a pissed off player. You're going to have – I mean, I presumably, and I'm not saying Michael Pittman told me that or, or has suggested that, but no one loves being franchised, mm-hmm. particularly when this is your first bite of the apple in free agency, right? So – no one loves playing on the franchise tag, even if it is twenty-one million dollars, twenty-two million, uh, versus you know a, a possible eighty, ninety, hundred million dollar contract. Right? There's, I mean, not even close to the same thing. So that sets a bad tone there. It also, I think, says or sends the wrong message to your locker room. Now, maybe that doesn't matter that much. I don't know, but if you preach to your team that if you if you do everything that's asked of you and if you go out there and 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 you're reliable and you perform we're going to take care of you. Well franchising a player and and leaving him to twist in the wind and play on that on that franchise tag that is not taking care of your player. So I I think it would be somewhat contradictory it would be very contra- contradictory to do that. So if you take everybody at their word in this thing in the Colts in particular that, that they're going to do what they say they will do, and they have with their other players, then I anticipate, yes, they'll get a deal done.
0: Let's move on to the combine and the draft as well and, and talking about some of those needs. I mean, we're all in agreement that corner's the biggest need, right? I, I think there are other needs, but is, is that clearly the number one, Stephen? Uh, I
3: think that was their biggest weakness in 2023. That's I think we can agree on that. Um, I, I think the question when you talk about draft and you talk about need – um, how you attack need is it depends sometimes on what the board looks like and, and what the depth is at a particular position, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, right? But I think, yes, I, I agree in principle that, yes, that was their biggest issue last season. I mean, frankly, if they had better secondary play, they're in the playoffs. That is just, I mean, that's it's simple. It's very, very simple. I think that is we can boil it down to that level. If their secondary play was better, they would have been a playoff team. I don't think you can be any more direct than that.
0: We're talking with Stephen Holder, ESPN.com, talking Colts and Combine. The workouts begin coming up here Thursday, a couple of blocks from where we sit right now at 93.5 and 107.5, the Fan Studios. Uh, I, I'm very interested, and and I know that you're presented with hypotheticals all the time. What if they get this person? But I'm, I'm going to do exactly mm-hmm. that, even though I usually can't stand it. Um Hey. Rock Bowers, right, is the guy that everybody wants to talk about. And, and I know that he is technically a tight end, but if he becomes what he is projected to be, then I, I think he goes out of being pigeonholed just as a tight end and he becomes a pass catcher and a dynamic threat. And we, we all know um, what teams with really good tight ends did this season and and how far especially the nfl's final four ended up going with four very capable players at that position if they were let's just say hypothetically steven that it's bowers Mm -hmm. at 15 if they were to get him does that change how they approach maybe not the Pittman situation because i think the Pittman situation they want to bring him back but um does it change how they approach what they do at wide receiver if they have a little bit more of a reliable and dynamic pass catching threat at tight end
3: I think it could, yeah. I, I don't have a problem with them taking that approach if, if you know, if this hypothetical played out. Because here's why: I, I really do think that what you what you're really looking for is not receivers or running backs or tight ends. You're looking for weapons. Yeah. I mean, in the in the very you know broad sense, you're looking for weapons, and that is what they have lacked. Frankly, you know, they have a couple that that are proven weapons. They have some possibles that have to still you know play out. But, I mean, when you talk about proven weapons, look, the Kansas City Chiefs have gone to back-to-back Super Bowls, won back-to-back Super Bowls, excuse me, after trading away the most electric wide receiver in football. Why? Because they have an incredible weapon who was able to fill that void, and he's not a wide receiver. <laughs> and, and the quarterback is okay. He's decent. That helps. <laughs> but my point is, there's, you can't even they couldn't even have entertained that without Travis Kelsey, right? And so that just goes to show you. I mean, it, it's it's about weapons. It's not about what category that that player plays, you know, or what position that player plays. I care more about what can he do, and and can he put points on the board? Frankly. And and that's what that's what a guy like Brock Bowers can do. Uh, so I, I'm fine with that. I think that, is, that should be the mentality. And I think Chris Ballard does think that way. I think he's very much a guy who thinks about, like, who, what are our weapons and and what can we do with those guys? And, and I would add this, by the way, to your hypothetical. Let's take it a step further. Let's say that did happen. Uh, I don't think there are a few better places, or there are a few better places where a guy like that could wind up than – on a team coached by Shane Steichen, who I think yeah. would just have all kinds of fun with a guy like that.
1: Steven Holder is our guest covers the Colts for ESPN to kind of build off of that question. Cause I'm with Derek. I feel like that for Shane Steichen and what he would want in an ideal offense, it is a do it all tight end, whether or not that do it all tight end yeah. ever reaches the level of Travis Kelsey or George Kittle. Okay. Let the, let the kid have a career, but I feel like that would be best for his offense. However, I do acknowledge, and you brought this up as well, that, yeah, that cornerback room could use another weapon, and it's really a, a crossroads philosophical moment for them, at least on the draft of what they want to do with that first pick. Because I know mocks don't mean anything, Stephen. We just consume them for for data and for other you know kind of brain operations. To see uh, what do people think is going to happen here or there? But that is their range at fifteen. Brock Bowers, a corner or a defensive end. If it gets to that crossroads for them what wins out the development of the rookie quarterback, which I think would be sped up by more offensive weapons or the clear need for additional help in Gus Bradley's scheme defensively.
3: Hmm. It is, uh, it's an interesting dilemma. And I I think I hope at least that's where the, uh, the, the, the input of your coach maybe matters. And let's just say, Let's say it's a tie, and, and let's say all of those players are equal. They won't be right because you have a draft board, and you have to you force yourself to rank them. So that won't happen. But let's just say, very very hypothetically, they were all pretty even. I would hope that if your if your head coach was an offensive head coach who calls the plays, arc, is the architect of the offense, I would hope that if he felt very very strongly about an offensive player, you would take that into consideration. And and honestly, I do think there is a track record for doing that. I mean, Naheem Hines, for example, was a guy like that, that I know Frank Reich was banging the table for Paris Campbell, was another one of those, uh, you know, neither player, you know, stayed here long-term, but both certainly had a lot of ability. And you saw what they were drawn to there. Um, so anyway, I guess what I'm saying is if your head coach is banging the table for a guy, if that indeed happens, uh, and you know that he can be trusted you know, to to get the most out of out of an offensive player, which I think we can say about Shane Steichen right now, then I'm going to give that a lot of credit and, and take that into consideration. So we'll see what happens. The other thing I would say is it's also going to depend on – or one other factor, I guess, is like positions that are deeper than others. Like wide receivers are pretty deep this year. You know, what what is the – you know, let's say there's a run on those guys early – let's say 2 or 3 are gone or 4 by the time the Colts pick well the 5th or 6th wide receiver might still be pretty damn good and so you know i just it, it just uh, kind of depends on how all that shakes out too
0: jimmy had mentioned kind of twitchy defensive ends it's so weird it, it's combine week right steven so we get to say like twitchy and length and all these I get out mean, that it dictionary baby. yeah let's these go. these it's not words it's the combine
3: that, yeah. yeah it's not the combine without saying long and twitchy and uh, what are the, what are some others? I've been out of practice for a while. Agile, agile, yeah, I uh, love it, love it. Quick first step, uh, ben, bendy, bendy,
0: bendy, yes, one. bendy yeah. makes me extremely uncomfortable. Gets yeah. to the second level. Yeah. Um, but but you know, <laughs> given their pass rushing situation, look, it, it was a productive unit this year, right? The numbers are what they Very, are. Yes. but you know, and this is no offense to quitty Pay. quiddy Pay has been a productive player. I I don't I don't get the sense that Quiddy Pay's like a keep you up at night guy maybe dio ends up being that as well i mean is is that something on this draft board because we're really hammering corner pass catcher safety uh those areas is is that something on the draft board where if we're truly going bpa if you will to use another term that we throw out this time of year (laughs) um that could i don't want to say surprise some people steven but that the colts could really look at
3: yeah we should by the way we should make like a draft drinking game okay every time (laughs) we use a, a draft um, a, a, a cringy draft acronym or something. Anyway, so it's an interesting situation, right? Like they they actually did exactly what they said they were going to do with their pass rush. And what I mean by that is they said, look, we're going to have a pass rush by committee and we think it's really good. And they were right. They actually had a very good pass rush by committee. So here's the problem with that. It's great. The numbers were great. I mean, they were historic. The best pass rush or excuse me, best sack production by the or in the Indianapolis era. That is to be commended. That is that is remarkable. But it is interesting though, I think what you're looking for is when you watch the elite pass rushers in the NFL, okay, on third down, if it's third and long, and you're playing the Cleveland Browns, you are terrified of Miles Garrett. You're just mm-hmm. terrified, right? And they don't have such a player, and I think the the problem is like overall they had a good pass rush. The the that's the half full version of it. The half empty viewpoint is that okay yeah. But the argument is that really the sacks that matter are the ones or the the pass rush that matters are it, it matters more when they come. I guess So I'm sorry for botching this whole thing. I had a I had a, it sounded good in my head and I didn't put it out there well. The point is when those quarterback hits come, when those quarterback sacks come, and when that pressure is produced matters almost just as much as how many sacks you get and how much pass rush you produce. And so those are the moments where games get decided. Fourth quarter, third down, got to have it, right? Do you have a guy who can make a play? They did make some of those, but I think – I don't know what you would prefer. I guess a lot of people would probably lean towards saying, I want the guy who gets 18 sacks. Um, but, you know, it, sometimes you can, as an offense, you can sometimes isolate that guy and you can double him all day and make his life really hard if they don't have anybody else. The Colts have a situation where the pressure can come from just about anywhere. So it's it's a maybe, to some degree, a little bit more challenging in some ways. But, but I do think it's like basketball, right? If you've got uh, – if you're playing the Golden State Warriors and uh, they're down two with with 10 seconds left, well, where the hell is the ball going? Mm-hmm. I mean, you know where the ball is going, and, and there's a good chance he's going to score that basket. His name is uh, no, what, Steph Curry, something like that. So, you know, I don't know. It's it's a good hypothetical conversation, and I enjoy these kinds of conversations because there's no right answer. but. But it would be nice to have one of those guys, for sure.
0: Yeah, I, I mean, I think, Stephen, you've seen um, Steph Curry courtside, right, in your seats with, with Jake, so you know better uh, than anybody perhaps, what, what, perhaps, he's been, yeah. what he's able to do. <laughs> I, I have also
3: seen um the the Washington Wizards. And let me tell you, you haven't lived until you sat courtside for a Washington Wizards game, buddy.
0: Dude, I went and I I took my family. My son my son's becoming like a big NBA guy and I was like, let's let's, yeah. you know, pick a weekend game or whatever and we went and saw them play Orlando earlier in the season and they were down. 25 after the first quarter, and they were down, I think, 39 at one point. It was like one of the Pacers' worst games. And that's as a paying customer. So for somebody that's used to going, you know, sometimes with comp tickets or with credentials, you know, I'm raging about the fact that I actually paid real money to see one of the Pacers' Worst performances, and I was not courtside, by the way, because I'm just uh, too cheap to spring for those. But someday, someday, Jake will invite me to to be along again.
3: I'll put in a good word for you, you Thank know. You. But but again, you know, our arrangement's a little different, as I said. So you know, <laughs> yeah, we'll see. I'm a has-been
0: F-level celebrity. You're still very much in it, so yes, I, I totally get where Jake's line of thinking is. At Holder Steven on Twitter X, ESPN.com. Always enjoy talking with you, my man. Thanks so much. Okay, guys. Take care. That's Stephen Holder. Uh, We'll talk plenty more. Combine uh, IU basketball discussion we had in the first hour. We'll get back into that uh, probably a little bit later on as well. I know Jimmy's got some great thoughts there on his alma mater as I stare at his Chiefs repeat shirt. Yeah, and here's Steven. Did he say that was was two in a row? Oh my goodness, that's all my shirt. Who knew? We should have a rule, and maybe, Eddie, you can do this whenever we book somebody that they just... And it was a great comparison, right? He's right. (laughs) The Chiefs let Tyreek Hill go, look at where they are, you know, weapons. I I got Steven's point. Steven made an excellent point. We should not let guests voluntarily <laughs> to bring up the Chiefs <laughs> on this show. That 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 is something. I know I'm just a fill-in. I kept myself. That's the way I did, that I, I didn't feel. pop
1: on the mic, though. I gave a look to Eddie, and that's all I him. did. I did text him. I said, big if true. Me and yeah. Eddie like to say big Even if true. Even the look.
0: The look just all right, well. makes me upset. I'm just so over
1: but, the Chiefs But he all all didn't that. spit any lies. They were all facts.
0: He was he was right. Yeah. He is a facts well, I hope he spitter, didn't spit. He's so over at
2: the convention center.
0: Bendy, that is one that... <laughs> He's, he's very bendy. Uh, okay, man, relax. Uh, we got <laughs> tickets to give away later in the show, too, right? So we're going to yes, do sir. that, too. Um, plenty more to get to. It's Quarry Company about halfway through here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back. It's Quarry Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. I'm Derek Schultz filling in for Jake. He has jury duty today, which apparently he's hustling back from. Todd Meyer just barged in here um my one song request got in by the way which he can do you know (laughs) thanks eddie that's fine jimmy you can you can get one song in that's fine per per time that i show up that's Um, kind of you todd kicking in the door and coming in here that is his you know he can do that um he's the person that kind of handles all this around here he was banging his fist onto the table about talking about purdue basketball showed us a meme of people have seen this meme right the the swerving car where the exit lane and they're swerving <laughs> into the other lane and saw that the, mean live the the car is swerving for Indy Sports Radio the car is swerving to what is it what what's Indiana's record even right now 14 and 14 14 and 12 I think it's 14 and 13 Four, okay so whatever it is 14 and 13 Indiana and then what is it number I think Purdue's back to number 2 right in the polls number 2 Purdue is in the other lane um I do have something interesting unique complimentary all of those things to say about Purdue um and and look it's always easier the pile of garbage that is engulfed in flames is going to attract more attention than the shiny car that's just going along in the left lane on the highway and that's what Indiana is compared to Purdue they're the flaming pile of garbage right now and Purdue's just kind of humming along right even though I think our attention is very much going to turn to Purdue here coming up in in the next couple of weeks, given the narratives and and the performance and what's at stake. Yep. Um, I have never ever. And I've been around Purdue basketball. I've been been lived in the state for over 20 years now. Um, I've never seen a road venue be completely taken over by Purdue fans. Like that game at Michigan over the weekend. That was crazy. Um, I've seen it happen for Kentucky um, I've seen it happen for some of those blue- hell I've seen Indiana do it sometimes you know Indiana at Northwestern I've seen that happen and, and there have been Purdue fan uh, big Purdue fan contingents at Northwestern when Northwestern's been down but they did a who's house our house chant at one point um, when they made that run in the first half and, and got themselves they did not play well in the first 10 minutes and got themselves back in the game and Lance Jones made a couple of plays I mean it got loud and even Matt Painter said after the game he doesn't remember and he's been there God whatever been 20 years um, he doesn't remember a time where they ever took over a road venue like that so you know it's a great fan base people are, are really invested and I, I, I do I do think Jimmy as much as it may pain you and maybe I'm, I'm speaking me. with a bias <laughs> here because they signed my checks but um, it feels different this year it, it does feel like this team a little bit has more of what it takes than than last year's team. And I think Lance Jones being that security blanket for Fletcher Lawyer not showing up um, helps. I I do think what I would really like to see them kind of do and figure out here the next two weeks is how do they get Heidi and and even Colvin a little bit more involved because I think they're going to need both of those guys down the stretch and and not be too hellbent on okay well we got to get Ethan Morton his minutes okay well let's let's stick through it here lawyer Fletcher's going to shoot his way out of this um i hope they don't kind of fall back on the things that they're comfortable with there
1: yeah i want to clarify one thing i know you're just saying it in jest because that's what happens when you went to the opposing school i i don't like i don't have a problem talking about Purdue i enjoy and am envious from the fan side of things not the talk show host chair side of things from the fan side of things I'm envious that Purdue is such a fun team to watch.
0: Yeah, you don't want to be the flaming pile of garbage. Correct. Yeah, Yeah, no one does. No no one does. No one wants to be in that car. Nobody wants to be part of it. They want to be in the nice car (laughs) that is wondering
1: what one seed they're going to be. Purdue is an exceptional brand of basketball. I've said many times on these airwaves, Matt Painter is one of my favorite coaches in all of college basketball. There's no doubt he's the most, at least in terms of, I mean, I guess Tom Izzo would like a word, but in terms of being the face of the Big Ten. It's Matt Painter, Tom Izzo, and the list right now, active coaches that are still in it. Mm -hmm. And yes, there is a level of expectation for them, Where whether you are a neutral, whether you are a part of the IU-Purdue rivalry and you want to see their program fail. I'm just talking about people generally. Yes, there is some level of the last four years we have been saying, this is the team that's going to do it. This is the team that's going to do it. This is the team that's going to do it. I am with you. This year feels different because a year ago, they were way ahead of schedule. They surprised a ton of people with how dominant they were and Zach Eadie becoming National Player of the Year. Their guards let them down and that's not the case. You've seen massive leaps forward from Fletcher lawyer from Mason Gillis, the addition of Lance Jones, Brandon Smith as well, but the addition of Lance Jones has been highlighted multiple times of how it's just another dynamic aspect and a major win in terms of people that want to poo poo on the transfer portal. No, that's what it's supposed to be. You're supposed to build things well organically and then utilize it to fine tune or get yourself that extra push that goes over the edge. I'm not going to, you know, condemn schools that want to go get all starting five out of the portal, but ideally if your program's stable it is used as an ally tool, which is what Lance Jones has brought to the table for them. So no, I am I want Purdue to make good for Matt Painter for the sake of what he's been building. For the example of, and I tried to use this argument for Woodson, Derek, a month ago, there was a stretch five years in with Matt Painter where there were serious talks about should they go a different direction. They missed two NCAA tournaments, went to the CBI and in back-to-back
0: years, and the yep. thought was... I don't know. And they, was it a, a one-and-done, that, that Hummel class? Was that it? Was that a flash right, in the correct. pan? I remember that. Correct. I remember those conversations. And, yep. and, and
1: Purdue never really thought that. Like Externally, there was chatter, but they stayed the course. And they are a living example. I know NIL happened later, and it's changed things, but they are a living example of what happens when you let something build and realize you have the right guy. I'm not saying that Indiana should do that. My point is, though, Purdue did, and... Regardless of what happens for them in March, he is the most stable figure maybe in all of college basketball right now. And so yes, I I do want to see them make good, but you can't feel that way and not also have the other side of that coin, which is at some point you have to do it. And that's the most intriguing storyline of March. I get it. It's a crapshoot. You never know. Maybe you draw a pesky Big Big East team in the Sweet 16. You get bounced. That's life. It happens. But this is because of how good they are, man, it does feel like the year where it's different and maybe it's when they finally break through. And if they don't, I'm not saying win a national title, but if they fall short of the Final Four, it would be tough to judge this anything other than a failure.
0: Yeah, it, it stinks because really, if you look at it, and I get that all of these, you know, North Texas, St. Peter's, FDU, bop, bop, bot, it's all clustered. If you look at the track history of Matt Painter's Purdue teams in March, they've, they've actually performed really well. The the only the only team, the the only other real upset on the ledger was that ridiculous Arkansas Little Rock game where they're like banking in threes from like 27 feet. You know, that that's the single elimination tournament where you just, you know, you get beat sometimes and it's 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 a fluke. Um all the other times where they were getting bounced, they they lost to a top seed Kansas team, they lost to the ha- Hashim Fabit Yukon team, they lost to the national champion Duke team that came here and beat Butler in 10. Um they lost to that Texas Tech team that was really good yeah. um, a couple of years ago. The Isaac Hashi, or whatever, what was that, 18. Um, Virginia, the national champion, right? In a game that they, if, if that same sequence is played over 1,000 times, <laughs> Purdue wins that game 999 yes. of yeah. the other times. So, you know, just getting back to kind of <laughs> the normalcy where you don't have the high-profile losses, it, it's so funny. It, do you remember, Jimmy, who they played in the second round the year that they lost to St. Peter's?
1: Ooh, that's a good question. Not off the top of my Purdue head. Purdue was no. a
0: three seed. It would t- they played a six seed. It was Texas. Mm. If Purdue would have, right. If yep. Purdue would have lost to Texas, who cares? Right? Yeah. If, if they would have lost to Texas, who cares? They advanced around further than that, but it's because they lost to a New Jersey commuter school that nobody had heard of. That's where it gets to be a problem. So that's the blessing I, and the curse of March. I'm not going to sit here and say that it wouldn't be catastrophic for them <laughs> to to not you know lose to another 16 seed. Obviously, that'd be a a, a huge deal. But, but to be I, clear, I'm not in that boat. I I can tell you right
1: now, like bet that's not, there's mathematically speaking, it would be impossible ignoring the growth they've had year over year. That's not where they're in danger, where they're in danger is depending on the draw. And if it's a pesky eight, nine matchup, or if it's a a one five, I'm getting lost in the math, but whatever their sweet 16 match would be, I'm not sitting here banging the drum worried. They're going to lose to this year's FDU. I'm more worried of, what happens with
0: this unit when it
1: is a respectable matchup like that, a Texas, a whoever? Yeah,
0: like what if they lose in the regional final to a second-seeded or third-seeded right. Auburn? You know, is is the entire season a failure? Uh, I mean... <sighs> it's a what-if. I don't know that it's a massive... I, I think w- w- the the frustration comes if they're not going to do it now with this group and right. with this player. And, and Zach Eadie, if, if he ends up being the back-to-back national player of the year to me it's really hard for me to come off of big dog as being the best player in purdue basketball history because he also had the nba pedigree too being the number one pick and and all
1: of that and if this was 30 years ago maybe ed would have that but realistically speaking he's gonna fight for a job and
0: but if you're the two-time i mean he's gonna get drafted he's probably gonna be a first-round pick but um you know not to not to big dog's level is what i mean right um if you're a two-time national player of the year and you repeat as that i mean you're you're if you're not the number one, then you're number two or the one B to his one A, right? And if you're not going to break through and get to the, because that's really what this is about for me. I mean, I think the national championship would be wonderful, and no Purdue fan is going to say otherwise. But the true breakthrough, I think, is just getting to the final Absolutely. four. I mean, the fact that they've had so many successful seasons under Gene Cady and, and Matt Painter and and the Elite Eight has been the ceiling. I mean, that's the that's the frustration, especially when you see. Do you remember that South Carolina team a couple of years ago with Frank Martin? Oh, man. You know, the, teams fluke their way up yeah. there all the time, right? And that's Where why they, they just so completely many,
1: come out of nowhere. So many analysts say you can't judge it by March, and and I get that, I do. But it'd be the judgment is not going to be, oh, Matt Painter's out of a job; they need to change directions. The judgment's going to be, man, this was one of the best Purdue teams, arguably ever. We had Robbie Hummel on last week, and I, you know, played a little bit with it. Of hey, I'm not going to discount your teams because. People still hold on to the thought that if he doesn't get hurt and they don't deal with those injuries, maybe they win it all. Maybe they're a Final Four team. But even he tipped the cap of, man, there's this is a great Purdue team. Yeah. And not to waste, but to miss the opportunity to think that there's going to be another player like Zach Eady of that caliber of a four-year progress player that's all five years to some extent. Uh, but with the back-to-back national champ, nat- back-to-back national player of the year awards and miss this window... I think it'll be more regret and disappointment than it is failure and shortcoming. Yeah,
0: and, and we're on the same page there. W- what I buck against is this idea that once Edie goes out the door, this all goes away. Because Purdue has had Carson Edwards come through there. They've had Jaden Ivy come through there. They've had Caleb Swanigan come through there. Purdue was number two and number three in the polls in in eighteen, in nineteen they made the run to the elite eight. Um, in twenty one, they were they were up there. Twenty two, they got to number one. Twenty, you know, they they have now. A big track record of sustaining this. This isn't just like some fly by night Purdue team. They've they've contended on a national level here for the better part of the last. I know they had the COVID year right. where they were way down and they missed the tournament. I think there's a level of because of all that, all you outlined each year and each piece,
1: Ivy Edwards, et cetera. It's felt like they're getting a step closer. And if it doesn't happen with Edie, because he's arguably, at least from an overall profile, the best of them, I know they play different positions, so it's hard to have that conversation. There is a feeling of... In any fan base, but especially this one. If not now, when? Yeah, it, we went through with Gonzaga,
0: right? right. I, I think for a long time, and people were like, oh, "Okay, yeah, whatever." Here's Gonzaga again; they're going to get beat the second weekend, or whatever. And and usually they did, and then they finally ended up breaking through, not with a championship, but at least with a yeah, a couple of Final Fours. Um, we'll come back, rerack the big headlines of the day. We'll talk a little Pacers with Dustin Doparek. I don't feel like we talked Pacers at all today. Should we do that when we come back? Guess I'd we love could. to. Now that we've fulfilled Todd's edict that we have to talk about Purdue, so we. Spend time talking That's actually about how they buzz you out if you don't hit that edict. You've been stuck here all night. So I'm <laughs> glad you did that. It's Query and Company, Derek Schultz filling in. 935 1075 the fan. I got one of those your password has expired. It must change <laughs> alerts on here. <laughs> Good luck. I'm a, I'm technically an employee in here, and I just <laughs> I don't know how to do anything and I think it really there, frustrates me. There was Todd. recently
1: an email where they're gonna start resetting passwords, I think, over an extended period of time. Like you have to reset it.
0: I, I saw it. Did you um, act on it? No. There's your answer. Because <laughs> I'm 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 one of those people that I have like a million passwords for everything. Like I am extremely on edge all the time about clicking on anything or whatever else. So anytime I get like a password reset thing, I go in myself and and find, you know, where the I, I don't click on anything that has an email link, even if it looks completely legitimate, like reset your password here and never ever do that. Um so I saw all of those and I saw people <laughs> responding and I was like This is probably legit, because I recognize some of these people that are responding on this thread, but I still didn't want to do it. My wife makes fun of me all the time. The one
1: time where Reply All actually helps somebody. That's good. Uh, By the way, to start the show, you criticized me and devalued a little bit our friendship. Never. Thinking that I did not remember things and was not helpful in terms of the times we've worked together. I want to clarify something about that, because I did a little research, and I tipped the cap to you. You were correct that it was Shane Steichen Day when you were in in the midday era however and I guess this is Jake's ego rubbing off on me I forgot it because I was not co-hosting with you that day I was behind the board Brendan King was your co-host that day so that's right I'm resolving myself a little bit
0: yeah it's coming back to me so (laughs) I had thought that I for some reason I thought it was Eddie you and me no it was you and Brendan and I was behind the board okay so fine I'm sorry Jimmy that's okay I forgive you right. right. we're all good then good um, was the experience everything that you hoped and dreamed it could be, Jake? Um, there are a
5: lot of areas that I can go with that. It was confusing. I don't know how it was for you, but you go into this big room, right? Mm-hmm. And And we're talking about jury duty, by the way. I don't know if you guys had refreshed people on where I was. but So you go into this large room, and you watch the video, and et cetera, and there were probably... What would you guess, Derek?
0: 150 people? Yeah, I'd say. Yeah.
5: So then they started doing waves of people. I was in the third group of names that they called. There were probably 40 of us. And they said, take the elevator to the ninth floor. Okay, so we do. And they lined us up against the wall in a, in a particular order and then walked us into the back of a courtroom where there were already 14 people sitting in the jury box. There was a defendant there were everybody else they introduced what was going on and it was a murder trial and they said this is probably going to be a multi-day trial and they went through the first group of prospective jurors asked some questions you know they you do a and they're reading the questionnaires the second group true story they say now mr and i'm not gonna say the guy's name Uh, you claim here on your sheet that you are a racist. And the guy said, who? And he said, that's correct. Yeah. And they said, do you feel that you can objectively without bias serve on a jury because the defendant is an African American? And he said, yes, no, I I don't think that will impact me. I I think I will be able to be non-biased. And everybody kind of thought, well, that's interesting. And, They said, well, can you elaborate? And he said, well, because like I hate him because of his race, but I hate everyone, so I can be pretty objective. Wow. Well, he was eliminated. He was Um,
0: honest, I I, guess, right?
5: Now, they also had The best part of the whole thing was they asked There was a gentleman who was a US citizen, but he was born in Russia, and he said that he has a PhD in physics, so the attorney asked him what he thinks of the movie Oppenheimer, and he said it was fine. I was bored by it, but it's it was okay. And she said, well, what's your favorite movie? And he said, my favorite movie is My Cousin Vinny. And she said, why <laughs> is My Cousin Vinny your favorite movie? And he said, because growing up in Russia, it's how I learned the American court system. Oh, boy. He was selected. He was selected. So, anyway, they went through and then they said, okay, we now have a jury and the alternates. And I was never even put into the jury box. Yeah, that I was happened in the, to me. the overflow gallery. So they sent me then back down to the room for a continuation to possibly be on other juries. And. I went through the entire process and ended up. I would have been here a little bit earlier, but ended up giving a ride back to Marion University of Steve Downing, the athletic director at Marion, who was in the group with me. Wow,
0: nice! So we so, each had somebody that we knew. Correct. Um, I did not give Governor Holcomb a ride. I believe he had transportation <laughs> taken care of um, for his jury duty service.
5: Yeah, Steve Downing could not be a nicer guy, obviously. But
0: when you heard that it was a obviously a much more serious yeah case and that it was going to be a couple of days, we're Did it change how you felt about getting selected or wanting to get selected? Yeah. I
5: mean, listen, you have, I'll be honest with you. Like the whole time I kind of felt like, not that I was in trouble, but you know, it's kind of like, it's very uncomfortable because they just never really explained what was going on. So the whole time I was kind of like, what, what, what's the process here? Like there's this long pause in the courtroom and it was when they were going over who would be selective jurors or whatever else. Um, But yeah. You do begin, Derek, your mind starts to race of, I'm like, you know, I've got a I've got a doctor's appointment tomorrow. I've got to pick up my combine credential, yeah. I, you know, the, but everybody has that stuff, right? They did ask one woman if she had secured child care and she said for today and tomorrow, yes, but I don't have it starting Thursday. And so they, they struck her because they were like, we, they, they actually ended up saying this could go until the end of the week. Wow. Um, and then, and I don't know what to make of this, but as I would, a couple of times during the process, I kind of made eye contact with the, not, not intentionally, but the, the defendant and I kind of made eye contact. And when I was leaving, he gave me like the, the head bop in the head, the hand, like what's up, which was kind of cool, I guess. But you think he then, listens? What I, I, I looked <laughs> it up, I, the I, d- I don't think actually Jimmy, that he's from Indiana. Cause I looked, I ended up looking up the case and reading about it, um, And I'll be curious to see what happens, even though I wasn't there for the actual trial itself. But, you know, I saw the jurors. So it was interesting for sure. Um, And yeah, there is a there is admittedly kind of a feeling of relief, not because you don't want the responsibility, but just because the uncertainty of how long you're going to be there, because they did say we'll try to be done by five o'clock today. But because this is going to be a multi day jury, we may go well past that. And I'm thought, oh, my gosh.
0: When I filled out the questionnaire, they were like, is there anything that would um, stop you from being a juror? And I said, well, yeah, I'm of a very prominent, well-known public figure, not only in the city, but in the state and and really nationwide. Did you put anything like that on your questionnaire or no?
5: No, actually, all I put was, if you keep me here, then that means Derek Schultz is going to have to do a second day on radio. And they immediately said, you're released.
0: (laughs) So that worked out well. So thank you. Dustin is going to join us when we come back. It's Quarry and Company, which I get to be a part of now. 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. So I had originally planned to play Murder is the Case from Snoop Dogg. But then when I found out that you might have actually gotten a murder case, I thought, that's probably in poor taste. <laughs> yeah. That's probably I, I, I in mean, poor taste. I,
5: I just had this feeling, Derek. I told. I think I told you. Because everybody I talked to was like, oh, yeah, I, you know, it'll be probably, you know, petty theft or something like that. And I did have, I, I had told Shannon, I'm like, I, I just have this weird feeling it's going to be like a really big case. Yeah. And and then, I mean, like I said, I, I read about it. It happened in May of 2021. Uh, but reading the news story of it, I mean, it was pretty brutal. So I'm like, you know.
0: Yeah, I think you... um should, wait, should I say dodged the bullet? That's probably in poor okay, taste, okay. too. God, I just keep, actually, I keep messing this up.
5: It was a stabbing.
0: Oh, okay, good. So, yeah, so you dodged a bullet, then, okay. by not getting okay. picked for the case. Tough night oh, he for gets the Pacers the last Trump, night. Okay, wow. <laughs> the guest gets a joke drum, but I can't get one? Come on, Eddie, what are we doing? Pacers fall to Toronto in a uh, Sega Baba. They're 2-9 and nine now in Sega Baba's Excuse me? season. I knew it. <laughs> Second game of a back-to-back?
5: Nobody says that, Derek. You, l- listen. <laughs> They, that's another thing that happened today when, you know, they were asking me qualifications and I'm like, yeah. And they said, have you been on jury duty before? And I said, I've never had jury duty, but my understanding is with this being a multiple that tomorrow would be the Sega Baba of juries. And they're like, what is that? I said, Derek Schultz says that. And they said, who is he? And then I was released.
0: Well, I know our, our friend Dustin Dopirak, who covers the Pacers. Has no idea what Star. that means. Um, no, exactly what I, I feel like he's used it in articles before. Covers the blue and gold for the star. Um, like I said, Dustin, I, I get it was a Sega Baba last night, but a, a disappoint, a disheartening performance, I should say, against Toronto after a terrific win over Dallas. Uh, honestly, are, are, are the last 48 hours kind of a microcosm of what the Pacers have been this season, where you have that that closing stretch against Dallas. I mean, they just they stuff them into a trash can. And then to come back the next night, again, Sega Baba context there. Um, but play as poorly as they did outside of Matherin and a couple of other standout performances. It's kind of who the
4: Pacers have been this year, no? Yeah, more or less. I mean, obviously, there's uh, the, the new wrinkle that you don't usually see of Tyrese Halliburton having a really bad game. Uh, I mean, I, this is—I mean, I think you can almost definitely look at it as one probably the worst game he's had all year. He was two of eleven. I think one of six from three. Uh, you know, had seven assists, but just didn't seem right, especially in that closing stretch. I think he was minus fifteen, and you just never see that from him. You know, obviously, uh, you know, he, even uh, nights where he hasn't been great, he's usually been able to produce at least a little bit, a little bit more than that, and, and he tends to give you a chance uh, down the stretch. Of pulling one out, and, and you know, last night he I mean, he made them actively worse. That never happens, and you, you can't presume that that's going to happen again. It's just one of those rare, rare, anomalous off nights. But yeah, I mean, overall, obviously, they've had losses like that before, so it's not like you can say, okay, well, you know, it only happened because Alexander had a bad night. I mean, they've had another a, a bunch of other reasons why it's happened, and Toronto is a particularly bad matchup for them. I think, in particular, because they're, I mean, they're bigger. They tend to, they tend to struggle against teams like that. They kind of have to outshoot them, um, and when. They're not on from there. Like, they're not going to outwork, you know, they're not going to out-physical them. Like, Toronto's just got too much size. Uh, And so they have to, like, you know, when they beat them in, Toronto, they had, I think, they they made eleven more threes than the Raptors did, and so they were able to give up eighty four points in the paint and still win. You know, last night I think it was pretty close to even, and I think they gave up seventy eight in the paint and they got beat. But they have those kind of flaws. I mean, that's that's the issue. Is they're they're a pretty good team, but they're not a spectacular team, and they have clear weaknesses, and so they're capable of getting beat on a night like that. When if if they're not on, then teams that have specific advantages of them can still beat them, and doesn't matter what that team's record is or how good they are overall, they can find a. a you know, uh, find, find a way to beat the Pacers when they're like that and when they're just not on, uh, you know, like, uh, you know, they were the night before against Dallas, they can get beat. So that's, it is the end of the day who they are. I mean, they've, they've left too many very wonderful games on the table that you just you just look at record, you're like, you have no business losing that game and they find a way to lose it. But obviously, they can put it all together and when the offense is really clicking, uh, they can beat some of the best teams in the league. So that's who they are at the end of the day. They can find a way to lose some of the worst teams in the league and find a way to beat the best ones. And that, at the end of the day, equates out to where they are right now.
5: Dustin, I don't know how to ask this without it sounding like a negative towards the player because it's not intended to be that at all. I think he's a wonderful talent, and you would probably know based on the numbers whether or not this even holds water in all of the different cases, but it feels to me like games where Benedict Matherin is the Pacers' leading offensive threat and where he really gets into a groove, and he did last night. I mean, he he can be a Mm -hmm. rhythm scorer. But it feels Mm. to me like if there is a game where Benedict Matherin is leading them in scoring and he is their go-to guy, that typically is a game where it's because nothing else is working in cohesiveness and it's not a good sign for them. Statistically speaking, is there anything to back that up or is last night the anomaly?
4: I think there is there is something to back that up, and some of it's just kind of observation I mean like and and I think Carlisle mentioned this last night he's like you know we're not we're not good he he is his words he said, you know we're not good when we're an isolation team, like we need to move the ball like that's our strength, but the issue is that Benedict mathram is a really good isolation player, and so that that was what makes him kind of an odd fit with them in general, but sometimes to stay in it if, if things aren't clicking the way that they usually do if the ball movement isn't producing the open shots and the, and the made shots that it usually does then someone's got to find a way to go get a bucket to keep you in it and Benedict Mathurin is as good as they have as as just going and get a, getting a bucket you know Halliburton can obviously do that too Siakam can do that too uh, but that's when Matherin is kind of on an equal playing field with everybody else and he's got to be sort of a quick decision you know a catch and shoot type of guy you know he's not as um, you know, efficient as an Aaron Neesmith is, but, you know, Matherin has the capacity to find a way to get his own shots in a way that Aaron Nismith doesn't necessarily. So that's kind of the dichotomy I think you're seeing there is that, yes, at the end of the day, like, he's better when everything else is broken down because he's the guy who gets you the shot late in clock when what you were trying to do didn't work. He's got that capacity to get that shot that the other guys don't have. Um, so they're better off when they're not, don't find themselves in that position than they, they need somebody to save them with a late clock, you know, Break you down off, off a crossover dribble or just attack the rim kind of move, but you still need a guy who can do it. And so that it, it makes kind of a weird anomaly that way. I actually, like to, to your point, I don't think it's an insult to the player, but they're, you know, when they're clicking, they don't need what Mathering gives them, but when they're not, they do. I guess is the best way to put it. That at least keeps them in games. Uh, A lot of times they still end up losing those games because they're not efficient enough, but, you know, Mather can go off and keep you in it. So it, it, I think it ends up working that way. I don't think that means that his points aren't useful. I mean, they're in the game because Mather was really good last night. You know, the fact that they even had a chance in the fourth quarter was Mather was spectacular and hitting step back shots and stuff like that. But, but his game lends itself to, you know, he's a guy that's going to take a couple crossover dribbles and try to um, you know, break down a guy. And what that means is the ball sticks, and they don't like when the ball sticks. So it's it's a weird, uh, you know, dichotomy that way. But I think what you're saying is mostly true.
1: Pacers beat rider Dustin Dupirak is our guest. Uh, producer Eddie Garrison points out to Jake's point one and three are the Pacers when Bennett Matherin scores 30 plus. He goes for 34 9 and 5 last night. And you mentioned it really keeps them in the game with those step back triples and keeps things afloat offensively, but he acknowledged publicly, I can't remember if it was last night or if it was this morning, but he acknowledged the Mm -hmm. fact that he needs to be better on the defensive end, especially in a game like that. Is that a player saying what he's supposed to say, or is that growth and acknowledgement for a second-year budding star?
4: Well, it's both. I mean, he knows it. I mean, he's been told it all year. It's not like it hasn't been made clear to him that you have to get better on this end, and it didn't just start. With with them. It didn't start in Indiana. I mean, basically, I mean he's been told this going back to Arizona, going back to his days. You know, when I I you know, when I did a feature on him last year, I thought he was coach from uh the Latin America, the NBA Latin American Academy, and they said the same thing. Like, Ben, you're gonna have to guard, you're gonna have to play defense. He's always been able to be a scorer. And he's I think he's good at he's generally good at one-on-one defense. I mean like he's like when it's just you against him, he can take it. It's just when he gets crossed up in uh you know in rotations and stuff like that, you could see his head spinning and sometimes he's just not where he's supposed to be. Um so I mean he's aware of that and I think I think he's better on a whole you know this year than he was last year. I think he's had some really good games and some really good individual efforts, but it's not all there, you know. And you still see some periods where you're like you know you could sense that Ben Masson was supposed to be somewhere he was not and you know like that so that there's still growth and it's tough to be really good defensively in this league at this point cuz guys are so good and offenses are so good um but yeah he, he it's growth that he knows that he keeps seeing this but you know you obviously you would want the growth to be faster if you're the Pacers
0: I, I think this was more of a, a circumstances thing, especially with the injury situation. But um, I was pleased to see Jerris Walker getting some early run. I think he got some second mm-hmm. quarter minutes last night. Um, anything yep. to read into that, Dustin?
4: Well, the biggest thing is well, it was an injury situation. Doug McDermott had some kind of calf issue, uh, and he was you know out for the rest of the way. So somebody had to play, and that's really the only option. Uh, the good, I mean, the positive thing is I do think Rick Carlisle likes what he's seeing, and I think we talked to him. Um, I remember when he was in Vegas. Uh, when Walker was in Vegas with uh, with the Mad Ants, for they went and played a series against G League at night. Uh, Carlisle said basically he thought that was his best stretch. I mean, he came out with some really good stats out of that. Uh, especially I think in the, in the later games, I think towards, you know, I, he, they played somebody else, I think Stockton, uh, the Kings affiliate out there before they played the Ignite team. Um, but I want to say like his last game against Ignite was maybe like 24 points, nine rebounds, five assists. So they like the overall progress he's making, but I think there's still some things that they're not super comfortable with. I think, uh, it, you know, his defense is not quite what they were hoping yet. Um, I think that's one big piece. He doesn't gamble too much. I thought one, um, I thought he earned a steal last night and got a quick whistle on that, Um but, you know, they, they do like – so he they, they see him gamble too much, basically. I mean, I think that, and that was the case where he did gamble. I thought he should have got away with it, uh, but he didn't. And so, you know, that can be an issue, obviously, when you're going to gamble. You you know run at the risk of fouls um, defensively. But, I mean, he hasn't necessarily been as sturdy in, in just keeping guys from getting by him as they'd like him to be and, and as quick in rotations as they want him to be. Offensively, I think he's come a long way, and I think they're really happy with that. They really like his feel, his passing ability. and Just the way he sees the floor, I think and they've seen that he's got – the ability to play more positions because he can handle the basketball, he can bring it up, um, and you know he can be a guy who you know kind of starts uh, above the break, basically, either bringing the ball up for you know top of the key sort of stuff or, or being even a wing that can that operate from the elbows. Um, they really like that he can do that. He's become a much, much, much better shooter this year than he was when they then uh, he was when they got him. Um, but I think the basic things that defense, the defense and the rebounding is what they're willing to see more of before he's going to get on the floor consistently.
5: Who do you think Utah fans? Really- for when their Jazz G League team plays Stockton? Is that like a – you think it's – you're going to figure out one. there?
0: I like that one. Well, you know, uh, John Stockton has uh, been in the news for some of the not-so-good reasons grape here smuggling? lately. Yeah, so maybe – Is it for grape smuggling? Maybe the feeling there has gone down a little bit. I wasn't on sure. that
5: jury. Uh, Dustin, in terms of Jairus Walker in the rotation, if we are to see him by year's end – I steadily get some minutes into the rotation. Is there any chance this season that it happens organically or would it specifically right now be because of some sort of attrition in front of him?
4: Um, I mean, he'd have to beat out Doug McDermott um, at the end of the day. He'd have to be a more... Um, a more effective option than Doug McDermott. I don't think right now there's a way that he could make more sense for what they're doing than Ben Shepard does. I think Shepard's a little bit more uh, reliable of a shooter and defender, and he just sort of plays more naturally into the system on some ways Walker has more capacity, so it's all all in in, in, on some hands kind of harder to fit him in because you're not going to be able to really get him the ball and get that much out of him. Where Shepard's a guy where he he gets the ball and he either shoots it if he's open or moves if he isn't. You know, he's got a very basic, um, you know, kind of charge when he's on offense. And I think defensively. He's further along, um, all in all. I think Walker can guard more. If, if when, when Walker becomes a defensive player that they believe he can, he's going to be able to, to guard more positions. But Shepard can very reliably guard anybody one to three right now. So I think it just you know having made the deal with Heald to move him on, um, you know, there's kind of one spot available between Shepard and McDermott. And right now, I think Ben Shepard's a better defensive player, and that makes him a more effective option. So I don't, and I don't know that Walker can move him off of that um, if. If, you know, if if Neesmith more, misses more games, um, you know, I think there's a possibility that Walker can play himself uh, into a scenario where he can beat out when he's the more effective player than McDermott. Obviously, that becomes its own issue because that means you gave up a really high-volume shooting guy in, in Buddy Heald and hope to replace him in Doug McDermott, and you haven't. Um, but all the same, I think there's going to have to be some level of attrition, Um I mean, I guess it's also possible that Walker could just go wild and, and, you know, with the mad ants and they could just say, well, we can't keep this guy off the floor anymore. We've got to find a way. Um, but it's going to be a little while because I think they're still going to have to play OB. He's been too effective doing what he does. Uh, you know, Jalen Smith has obviously been really good at the five. Um, Matherin, you know, if he's going to be the second unit guy behind B. Smith is a guy that you clearly have to have in the rotation, and I think Shepard's just been more solid. So I think Walker would have to do a lot um, to get to sort of naturally beat one of those guys out and move him along.
1: Dustin DePirac covers the page for the Indy Star is our guest. Dustin, I know that you've joked that Rick Carlisle is tired of hearing the question about the player you alluded to in that range of the return of Aaron Nesmith and when that is to occur, but how big of a change immediately will this rotation experience whenever they get Nesmith back and do you anticipate, like they did with Tyrese, to slowly kind of bring him along in terms of the minutes that he's getting?
4: I mean, I would be surprised if he requires a minutes restriction just because, I mean, we're talking about sort of different deals. I think when you kind of get past a sprained ankle, you're usually okay unless it's kind of a high ankle deal or or something like that. I mean, obviously, this is just sort of, you know, I'm not in the least bit a doctor. And there's just sort of watching sports for years and years and seeing how guys usually come back. But, I, I mean, I'd be... I'd be surprised if it takes that long. I'd be surprised if it, if he comes back in a way that he can uh, that's it's easily ag- aggravate you know that he can aggravate it. Um, you know, I, I think if, if if he's still not healthy by this weekend, I imagine they give him the rest of the week um, and then you know sort of wait until he's he's back solid. So I don't, I don't think it's going to take a similar track that it did uh, with Halliburton. I think when he's ready to go, he'll be ready to go. Um, you know, and and to, to this point, like he's been walking around since the injury itself. I mean, like it's not a scenario where like he was in a walking boot on the first day or he had to go with crutches out of there, but he walked out of the building. Um, and so I don't know how far back it is. Cause he has been really cagey about saying it, but like, I, I can't imagine that, that it's that, you know, as nearly as big of a deal as it was with Halliburton, where you could see him come off the floor and you're like, well, that's a problem. You know, that's not good. Um, So I don't know. I mean, I guess I'd be surprised if it's drawn out. But, I mean, I also wouldn't be surprised if it takes another week before they're ready to put him back out there. But I also just wouldn't think that it would be a long-term, you know, 20 minutes today, 25 tomorrow, you know, that kind of deal. Um, But obviously when he comes in, obviously he's a huge key piece. You know you're not going to want him if you can't if you can't guard. him. Mean, he's out there, you know, because he's one of the best two defensive players along with with Nembhard, You know, as far as perimeter guys is concerned, you know they're not going to want him out there unless they know that he can guard somebody. Um, and so once that happens, obviously he's going to go back to the starting role. You can move Maseran back in the second unit uh, and roll from there, and you're you're back to giving Nemhard and G Smith your two top perimeter, uh, you know, defensive assignments. So I think you know it, it, if it takes a little while longer for them to feel comfortable for him to be out there doing that, uh, then they might wait on that.
0: Justin, I want to ask you, the, the returns look pretty good. We're talking with Dustin Doporek at the Indy Star. Um, returns look good, positive for Indy for their hosting job with the NBA All-Star Game. I saw they set the record for the NBA crossover event at the convention center with attendees. Um, something like just short of 200,000 people took part in all of the festivities, which was a 14-year high. The NBA ratings were up for the, the All-Star Game, which was great to see, 20%, which is, is a significant number. But... Probably. Well, definitely for Jake, um, you and I are around the same age. We might not get an NBA All-Star game back here. Maybe and Jimmy and, and Eddie will be able to enjoy it. What were your takeaways from getting to cover an event that is uh, in, unique in a sense that Indy hasn't hosted in 40 years and it might be another 40 until we host it again?
4: Yeah, no, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it's it's a it's it's so different from like other when when you think of just covering major events, um, you know, it's weird to to have this thing where there's this three day build up and there's not a championship at the end. It's just a, it's just a game that nobody's taking seriously, but there's just all this pomp and circumstance in the middle. You know that you know from you know dunk contest and the three point and the skills challenge and everything on Saturday and the rising stars on Friday and you have all these sort of uh, you know various kind of media um, inspired things where they're like trying to get you know come talk. To this person come talk to that person, uh, and and it's wild. I mean, like I mean, I think I, I got back from Toronto on Thursday, and not long after that, I'm sitting there talking to Shack, and I'm like, "Mark, I'm talking to Shack. Like, how did I get here? You know, like that kind of thing." And then Shack and Barkley, and then like they had an event basically for me to kind of ask them whatever you wanted to ask, and like they don't censor either. By the way, like when you're talking to Shack and Barkley, and they're not on camera, like cuss words just fly like nothing. I mean, and it's hilarious. You're just like, oh, they just say the f word, just do it. Okay, cool. You you know, that's kind of, yeah, it's kind of who you would expect they'd be, but it, it's, you know, and so it was definitely, I it, it was just a different kind of coverage because you're just, you're used to kind of building up, even when I've covered NCAA tournaments or College World Series or stuff like that. There's this kind of like main event that you're keeping your, uh, you know, your mind focused on and then like, but the All-Star Game, you're basically the question you're asking is like, so you guys are going to care this year? You know, like that was kind of the only question. And, and at the end of the day, it was, eh, not really. Um, but it's still, I think, a lot of fun to see all those personalities come in, to see, I guess, Indy step up and, and shine and kind of put its own mark on it. I mean, I think there were certainly some logistical issues. I mean, I I would say I, I had a lot of fun with it when I, once I had parked my car, which was never a, a fun scenario. But the rest of the week, it was just like, man, there's this crazy thing happening here. And it's like, you're, oh, like we're asking questions to Reggie Miller now, you know, like, and, and there were so many cool personalities, but they also just did a good job, I think, of. of of highlighting and focusing on the history when it came to the major events. You know, I think during the game, having the moment for Oscar Robertson was really cool and delving into Crispus Attucks and just basically like his Oscar Robertson importance in in black history and like all of that, uh, you know, I thought was really cool stuff. And just to see Indy shine like that was was really cool. Um, and, And with, you know, involving spike lee and something like that and you're just like seeing all those kind of uh you know dots connect i thought was really cool it's again it's a very different experience really glad i got the cover i mean i'm a guy who always like made a point of watching all-star saturday night is even everybody's buried the dunk contest 20 times over i'm still going to watch it every year uh so it's cool to be in the building for some of that stuff that you know i've always kind of made a point to check out and definitely you know one of those kind of bucket list items that you could check off
0: yeah, I'm a fellow NBA nerd, so I, I feel the same way. <laughs> you, can, um, you can
5: leave NBA <laughs> off that, although I'm not saying Dustin's a nerd, but
0: yeah. I am, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll own that. Self-professed nerds, both of us. <laughs> yeah. Nerds unite. Uh, we'll yeah, see how we the Pacers can bounce back. Only one more, according to Eddie Garrison, only one more Sega Baba this year for the Pacers in the final 23-24 <laughs> games. You can check out Dustin's work at Dustin Topirak on X. And Pacers Insider, IndyStar.com as always. Appreciate it, my man. Thanks so much. Let me ask Thanks you something, Thanks
5: Say that term again. That that acronym. Sega Baba. Okay. And that stands for Second Game. So where does the E come back. from? Second S C. Now the S is perfectly it's the first sufficient two letters, for that.
0: Second S S-E, C. Game G A. No. Act. I'm going to say this as a friend. Uh, okay. Um, well, I, that's lucid.
5: How, how about? Wouldn't it be? Sigo baba because you're 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 losing you're dropping the of what, say, what happens to the of there what are you doing with the of? i don't mean to ruin the
0: friendship can, can i say Stephen this as a friend steven has taken that role okay. now. I, you
1: stressed that well earlier. yeah Stephen
0: holder has taken yeah. my role as your best friend i'm your second best friend now clearly um but well he had to pay for that second well that's true as your second best friend um i've been listening and i'm thrilled for you for this opportunity i think this show has been great but one thing you can do is just interject a little bit of like current terms like to be a little bit cooler and to be a little bit with it because you're getting you're 56? Yeah, close, yeah. 55, yeah, whatever close. you are. Sega Baba is something you can no. use on querying company and then people can hear it and they're in their cars and they're driving in Midtown or wherever they are. Nobody nobody and knows they're that saying themselves, either. Oh my God. Nobody in Midtown is listening Baba. to this show
5: because they're in New York. They don't care about what's going <laughs> Jake on in It's
0: cutting edge. This is a show yeah, that I yeah. have to listen to. Okay. So it's just, yeah, okay. I have lots of radio experience just like you do and that's a bit of advice not only as a professional but as your second best friend.
5: By the way, just so you know, when when because you did make reference to my potential mortality, which probably is right around the corner. But when when well, I was knocking, on, a couple years I, ago. I know when yeah. I was knocking on that door, my mom texted all of my really good friends. You got a DM, right? I got a Facebook message, <laughs> which Jimmy, we talked about this, I thought was a virus, right? I was like, why is Jake's
0: mom Facebook messaging me See, at that, 9.30 on a Friday night? That
5: should tell you right there, Thursday. That that should or tell sorry, you right Thursday. there where the rank...
0: Well, you might have gotten it on Friday, which even more so illustrates where your rank is, right? What matters is you called me from the hospital bed 36 hours later. We had a conversation. I'm not going to publicly say what was said. I wasn't even we, in the hospital we, for 36 we, hours. We, we talked about... You know, we, we laughed, we cried. Um, <laughs> okay. we you we talked cried. about you our cried relationship. because I said I was gonna be okay. That was well, the part that hurt. Actually it would've cost me a lot more money if you bit it that night. So I was I was really happy that you ended up. <laughs> you might have been filling in more, Derek. I that's true. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Accomplishing all the things that I would have gotten to do. Yeah. But it's been um it's been uh, getting back to the Pacers and Sega Babas and all of that, it, it's been this sort of I don't want to say roller coaster, that's almost like too cliched. Um but the Pacers started the season. Up And then they have the in-season tournament, right? And then they go back down. And then around the holidays, they go back up again. And then now it feels sort of like they're 10 and 11 since that holiday surge. This is who they are. Like, if the Pacers get to the number six seed and they're competitive... Of hell, if they win a first round series, I, I think at this point that's probably the goal. I can't for say it's complete
1: be. for what they are just yet because they've yet to really be full strength post Pascal Siakam trade. And that, that I know Smith isn't like a superstar, but they, they're they worthy of getting to see that. That and the fact that Sega Babas are almost to an end, I don't want to see this team on back to back so they just don't yeah. do well. Only my, my is that right? Is Any,
0: one more Sega Baba, you said? Uh, Correct. The okay. Clippers and Lakers. He meant
5: only one more time saying it, which you guys have now exhausted. One more time. Uh, listen. The, the, to me, the thing about Indiana would, that would be of concern is this. Maybe concern the wrong word. You have, to, you have to realize with the expectation, go back and retroactively remember what the expectation was to begin the season. They are well ahead of where you were hoping they would be at this point. But the Siakam trade, which we still have yet to see how that plays itself out, if they sign him long-term, then obviously that in itself is a huge win. I mean, that goes without saying. But the thing that made Indiana unique when they were winning games consistently, the thing that made the Pacers unique when they got to the finals of the in-season tournament, the things that got them to the point of then necessitating pushing in on the Siakam trade to get to next level because they they had passed phase one of the new orientation, if you will was the fact that they were outscoring people at a historic clip with an incredibly efficient offense, but they needed to pick their defense up. Their defense has gotten better, but with Siakam, their offense has slowed down. They are slowing down in the half-court sets where they're they're now playing at a more pedestrian pace, which is fine, but it does not keep people off kilter that was allowing them to get the wins that they were getting. So they've got to find a happy medium between those things.
0: Yeah, I agree. Um it's, they're in a good spot, right? They are growing. They're developing. I, I think they're getting to where they want to go or making progress to where they want to go. It's, it's just hard because you see them play the way that they have against the Bucks this year and you start getting these grandiose thoughts about what they can really do. And in reality, I think there's a clear line of demarcation in the East or, or really just the NBA in general between the teams that are truly contending and the teams that are just on that next tier, and I think it's great that the Pacers are up on the next tier, but to me, the fact remains is that they're on the next tier.
1: They won't get killed if they stumble here, but post-Siakam trade, they are positioned to not only, in my mind, get to that 6 or better line that I had for them to start the season. They're not, you're right, they're not at the high level of they're going to contend for a championship, but it wouldn't be a massive shock to me anyway to see them win a playoff series this year. Like I, I think they have that within them, but to Jake's point, if they don't get things consistently back, at least close to where they were offensively, they can play all the defense that they want. Where this team wants to run and be at their best is a high level high scoring offense. And if they can't get some of that back while meeting up towards average defensively, it's not gonna have that. I don't fairy tale's not the right word, but it's not gonna have that exceeds expectation type of season. That said, I agree with you, Derek. They are in a right spot. This would not be a oh, they got to be crucified because they lost in the first round or they were a playing team this year. But just like it was for Butler this year, they're ahead of schedule. But boy, would it have been nice to make the NCAA tournament. That's kind of the same vibes I have with this Pacers team. They're ahead of schedule. But man, would it be nice to be firmly in the
5: playoffs and maybe even win a series?
0: Just don't get swept. I can't do another first round Derek, do you have all your
5: dumb phrases out of the way now? I didn't hear the first half of the show, so I don't know what you talked about, but have you used all the I don't, dumb... I, we haven't used any dumb phrases. What
0: are, you, what are you thinking of for dumb phrases? I haven't used a single we one in We used one combine language. We got into that we a little bit. bendy with Stephen Holder. Excuse me? Bendy? <laughs> is that like the little dog? Like this Dalton? prospect is bendy? Agile? Yeah. Swiftie? Hostile?
5: I was a high school wrestler. Swifties. I'm pretty. That, that's bendy. a... Swifties paying top dollar for tickets, right?
0: Yeah, it does. You're right. Why? Is there anything else that you want me to... I'll I'll play the hits. I don't get an opportunity to get on the microphone Yeah, this I know that's anymore. why I wanted you to get it all out of your system. Usually man. squash those opportunities. So it was nice to not have aren't, it Jimmy, aren't you glad that I wasn't
5: picked for the multi day
0: jury? <laughs> Count my lucky stars. Yeah. By the way, do you know what today is? Is it is today leap day? February twenty seventh. No, it's the twenty eighth, isn't it? Something that I share with James Worthy and Chelsea Clinton, and it's actually a really bad birthday to have. Elizabeth Taylor, I think, is it's her birthday today. Is there anything that you wanted to say I, th- I thought you'd say it when you came in or during the break but you've been here for 40 minutes now and you've not said it so
5: i didn't that, that i'm looking at my calendar i didn't have that in here okay
0: well it's, it's my weird. birthday today it's my dirk okay. day happy birthday derek 41 see what, jimmy and what, what number is it Four one
5: i got news for you you got nine more before anybody cares and then after that it's 25 till anybody
0: cares nobody well, cares it's okay there are is a lot of we send flowers we had 25 we had media coverage because i was a miracle triplet and i have the newspaper clippings, so i know that that grind your gears because you were what like the third kid or whatever so by the time you came out no one cared i was the um a miracle baby i defied medical science in 1983 yeah, okay. so it's yeah. great to still be here all these years later glad to see you outgrew it we've got tickets to give away and we'll get back into the iu basketball conversation because that's something i wanted to broach with you as well jake it is your show i mean it's called querying company for god's <laughs> sake right Ninety three five one zero seven five the fan <laughs> I gave Eddie a playlist with strict instructions, and this was not on it. I didn't know if Jimmy had another song. No, I that didn't. Came but, on. I put my one song on the set list. Welcome it. to my world, Derek. It's my birthday, and I can't even get my set list for Querying Company. Derek Schultz. I was supposed to Dude. fill in for Jake. I was supposed to have all three hours. That's what I was told. That's what I was promised. Those promises were broken because Jake is here. He did have jury duty. He did not get selected for jury duty. Um, and I still came in. Would have been a think about that trial. dedication. I admire it. That would have been really cool to be part. Of. I know it would have thrown a huge... Because you guys are at the Combine the rest of the week, right? It would have thrown a huge wrench in your week to well, be selected you know, I, actually, I
5: actually thought about this. And I'm not kidding when I say this. Based on my experience last year. I think today is... Is today the only day to pick up,
1: pick no. up credentials? No, we got
5: time tomorrow and Thursday. Because I thought... Can you imagine if I would have been on jury duty from eight until five, let's say for three days, and then on Friday showed up, I'll bet they would have said, sorry, you don't have a credential, you can't come in. Well,
0: I couldn't pick it up because I was on jury duty. Sorry. That would not have surprised me. Well, you had a bit of an issue last year. To say the least. Right. And getting in there with your credential. when you So last year I had a perfectly
5: sufficient excuse. The last day of the combine, we were doing the show on Friday from the combine, and I had to go straight from there to the airport, for the IndyCar race in St. Pete. So I'm getting dressed at 640 in the morning and I had everything packed and whatever else and I'd packed the night before. And I grabbed my credentials off my dresser, put them on and drove down and walked into the convention center and was walking into the combine and showed them my credential. And they're like, we need your NFL credentials. And I realized I had thrown on my hard card. So I said, Oh I, you know, I'm so sorry. Here's what happened. Here's my name on the hard card, the indie, my indie card credential. Sorry, you had a combine credentials. I said, I understand. Our, our table's right there. You can see it. Here's a video of me from our website from yesterday <laughs> broadcasting from that spot right there. So we can just call, can you call the Colts and they can give me a day, Pat, like a day credential? Uh, sorry, sir. The only way that we can allow you another credential is with an official police report that your credential has been stolen. Uh, okay. So then I realized... And you were handling
0: that well, I'm sure, right?
5: I was. (laughs) So I just said, you "You know what? Fine. I'll I'll go home and get it. I'll I'll drive all the way home and get... So I drive home and get it and come back and walk in and sit down. I think I missed like the first segment of the show. All good, except for that. Then I look over and they're having like a press conference and, you know, they've got like American Idol rejects asking questions and like, you know, which I'm like, why are we pretending this is the CIA and the Pentagon? It's the NFL Combine. At this point, anybody who has like two tear off tickets from a Twinkies box can be in here. Uh, you know I think I it's mean? just
0: hard for you because for most of this, most of your life, when you've run into situations like this, um, people have thought it was like endearing or cute, and oh, that's just Jake, and you've talked your way in or whatever. And not everybody thinks that you're endearing and cute, and oh, I'm gonna let this guy in, and I trust him, and I think
5: they actually did the right I'm thing. A big believer, Derek, in like common sense
0: i'm just a believer in
5: common sense and every once in a while you just have to look at things and go what's the logical situation here logically speaking this guy is wearing a credential for another sports series he has an id that says he works for a radio station who's like tarp is hanging from that table right there do you even think they knew that sports series and he's been here good that's a good question um but nonetheless i'm wearing a credential for it right could and, be fake. and in addition to that, they, I've been there every day. They've, like, literally, they've seen me every single day, right? They can pull up in their system. Did and you see say my, hey
1: to them every day? Hey, Tim, how's it going, man? Well, Good I to mean, see you. First Bob, off, hey. when you get
5: there at 10 till 7, there's not a lot of people there, right? So, you, but, but you would think that they would have been able to type my name into a database and pull it up and go, yeah, there's his credential right there. He, in fact,
0: you talked, your way, sense, you talked your way out of getting arrested for sneaking into an abandoned Astrodome Yeah. and you couldn't talk your way into the NFL Combine. I think that trade-off would be fine for you, right? Which would you rather have access to? The NFL Combine? The Astrodome.
5: Yeah, I'd rather go into a stadium where evil Knievel jumped over stuff and the Bad News Bears run around than somewhere where guys are running around in underwear getting measured. Exactly.
0: You are correct. So yes. it all worked out, as everything does for Jake in his life. <laughs> um, right. IU basketball taking on Wisconsin tonight in the ultimate who-the-hell-cares game, right? Even if Indiana won by 25 tonight, who cares? Um, the the ink is dried on what their season is. Jake, I know that you've talked about this already ad nauseum, but since we actually, I have the opportunity to talk about it. We mentioned it with Jimmy earlier in the show today. Um What do you think about Mike Woodson's job status and just kind of are we doing this again? I mean, it just feels like it's the same thing over and over again with Indiana where they they go up and they immediately come back down. Like last season, I thought was a good season. They finished second in the Big Ten. They swept Purdue. They won an NCAA tournament game. I get that that's not going to appease the fans that think that they should be in the Final Four every year. But we talked about this, Jimmy. Objectively speaking, last season was one of the five best seasons that Indiana has had this century, probably. Yeah. Um, and are you willing to let Woodson go after things got this bad this year, even if it's only one bad year?
5: Here's what's fascinating about all of this. And let me preface again by saying, I don't know Mike Woodson. I know a lot of people that know Mike Woodson. I know people who have worked with, and I think even Mike Woodson's worked for, And to a person, nearly everyone I know that knows him well has said that Mike Woodson's a good guy. I don't think there's a bad thing about him. I think that Mike Woodson in this situation has become a little bit, I think, quite frankly, I think the best thing for Mike Woodson, let me tell you something I think would be good for Mike Woodson and good for the Indiana fan base. And it's going to sound self-serving. It's not intended to at all. And there's an irony to it because he worked in New York, which is the media capital of the world. Mike Woodson needs media training. He needs media training, number one, because it would temper some of the things that he says that that fan the flames. And number two, because I think a lot of the media people don't feel like they know him really. And I do think that probably the more you get to know him, probably people would find out the more they actually kind of like him. But he has not handled these situations well. Mm-hmm. His, I'm not the one missing shots, guys. I'm not going anywhere. He's, he's a little. There's a little touch of defiance in him that I think has rubbed people wrong. But when you really step back and look at it, and you do comparison, and Jimmy's heard me say this a lot. I'm a precedent guy. I like to, I like to measure things by precedent. Archie Miller never really got it going in Indiana, but he got four years. Tom Crean, the last couple of years, you could make the argument that it was like three consecutive years where the the sands were pouring through the hourglass, but he got another year. When it got to the rock bottom, he was given one more year, and then actually, I think a lot of people were surprised when when he was replaced. Kelvin Sampson, a little bit different story. Mike Davis got probably a year more than people at the time would have thought or would have wanted, but my point being that of late... Mike Woodson, the precedent would say that he deserves at least four years. The one difference and the one challenge would be, and I heard you guys talking about this earlier, but the real obstacle for Mike Woodson in stating his case of why he deserves that that extra year, aside from precedent, the counter to that would be there doesn't appear to be a lot of footing or basis for next year being any different or any better than this year. Khalil Ware is all but gone. Mackenzie Mbako and Malik Renew are really good players, but are they going to come back and then you only have one recruit coming in, but you have no guards. Now the portal becomes very important, but the transfer portal is a lot like free agency in the NFL. When Bill Pullion said, when it comes down to it, you still are taking someone else's recycles, right? And so, the thing that is a challenge for Indiana or for their fans is to get excited about the fact, Derek, or see any light whatsoever that next year is going to be any different than a rinse and repeat of right now. And so that leads to people to say, well, yeah, if you want to give him another year, you give them another year, but why in the world, what basis, foundation, or evidence is there in any way, shape, or form that next year is going to be any different than this one? The only thing that I've seen out of Indiana at this point is a lot of sensitivity about – and I understand it. But, I mean, I've talked to guys that played there. I've talked to guys that are around it. I've, ta- and, and I think that there is just – the fan base can feel pressure. Players even can feel pressure. But the people that you're paying millions of dollars to run things should at least on the outside never appear to be feeling pressure. And Mike Woodson looks like he can't handle the pressure. He needs some sort of a training or intervention in that area. I don't think he's a bad guy. I don't think he's a bad basketball guy. But right now, I think he's focusing and channeling his energy on trying to win the wrong arguments instead of trying to win basketball games.
0: Well, if he can pull five-star type talent, and if Indiana's got this big NIL war chest that everybody talks about, and if the fans say that people still want to come to Indiana and play there, and the fan support is what it is... Isn't this an era of college basketball where they should be able to go in the offseason and fix a lot of these problems? Yes. So do you give them that chance? Because this is something that Archie Miller couldn't fix or Tom Crean maybe couldn't fix, but Mike Woodson now has the ability to fix.
5: I agree with that, but they they have to get shooters. That's the bottom line. They need to get outside scorers. Now, maybe you can do that in the portal quickly. But if you can't,
1: This past year, them missing as bad as they did in the portal, and especially our conversation earlier regarding maybe it wasn't just because Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway were there that they missed out on guys. They want to be the NIL school. They want to be at the forefront of this where we are pro NIL, we are going to get the players whatever they need, and we're going to have tons of success because of that. That failure this past offseason gives me pause to why didn't it work out And if it wasn't because of Xavier Johnson and Trey Galloway occupying spots, and it was another reason, why should I have faith that they're going to suddenly go out and win the day when the portal is set up for schools just like Indiana to be able to do that?
0: Yeah, I I don't think you can fire him after the third year. I think the optics would be terrible. But that said, and I mentioned this with Jimmy Jake, I'm worried that Mike Woodson is running into the same problem that Tom Allen did. I don't think he knows what's wrong. And if you can't, identify the problems, I don't know how you fix them. Because what Woodson has said publicly is they're talking about, well, we miss shots. Well, you miss shots not because you miss shots. You miss shots because you guys can't make shots. That's that's the problem. It's not like this random thing that happened and injuries and all this other stuff and the excuses that he made. Um, it's a roster that has three and a half good players. They have Mbaco, they have Ware, they have Renew, and then they have Trey Galloway on the right night. And the rest of it is it, it, it's a bunch of guys that bring nothing to the table, the, like CJ Gunn and Banks and Sparks and all these guys are they're Gabe Cups are zeros. Um, they don't they don't give you anything, and that falls on Woodson, right? So it, it sounds like I'm talking out of both sides of my mouth because Indiana's in this issue because of Woodson, but I, I just don't know how you let go of somebody after. Really, what is one bad year, after acceptable to good results, he's a program legend. I think the race part of it is a factor. I don't think it's a major factor, but I do think it's a factor. Because you don't believe in him anymore. That's
1: why. That's why you would ignore the optics I, because you don't have faith in him.
0: I just think that this whole thing, the coaching carousel and all of that and all the narratives about Indiana basketball that Indiana basketball wants to buck against, you just heighten all of that Derek, by doing
5: this. Mike Woodson is in this situation. Let's just let's just let's just tell it clearly. Okay, Mike Woodson is in the situation that he is in because he put all of his eggs in the basket of a guy that no one else trusted. Xavier Johnson came to Indiana because his old school didn't trust him anymore. He was suspended for leaving the team hotel and gallivanting around Chicago when they were playing Northwestern. He has had multiple... I don't know Xavier Johnson... I was a knucklehead when I was twenty three years old. I'm not saying it makes him a bad person. I'm making I'm saying that at the very least, he's a good person who's made multiple bad decisions, and he has shown a complete inability to show any maturity or progress throughout the time that he's been here. And when it came down to it, Mike Woodson looked at Xavier Johnson and said, That's the guy that I'm riding behind. And it blew up on him. And for most people, they would have looked at it and said, I was just in Las Vegas, right? When you go to Las Vegas and you go to the roulette table, the first thing you look at is you look up and you see, okay, what number just hit? It has no hill of beans worth on whether or not that number is going to hit again. The odds are the same on every single roll, Right but you feel like it because you're like, am I kind of playing with fire with this number because has hazard has not hit whatever else? It's different with basketball. You look at a guy that's had multiple infractions, it does give you a barometer as to what can happen more so than thinking and assuming that it's not. And he came down to it and said, I need shooters and I need guard play to go along with and accentuate the frontline players that I have. And instead of going out and actively pursuing guys, I'm going to assume, number one, he appeared to be the last person aware of the fact that Jalen Shafina was going pro. And number two, he said, I've got Xavier Johnson coming in, who's not only injury prone, but has been really, really, really prone to bad decisions. And that's why he's in the situation he's in, because he trusted a player that no one else did.
0: But coaches make bad bets. That happens. Matt Painter made a bad bet on Ronnie Johnson all those years ago to come in after, remember, after the Hummel and Johnson and Moore group came in and Purdue bottomed out for a while. They were last place in the Big Ten, and they they kind of wore it for two years, and they rode it out, and they came back, and look where they are now. I'm not saying that Woodson is going to get there. I'm not even saying that I believe that Mike Woodson is the guy. I, I think there's a very good chance that we're in the same exact boat, but I still think, Jake, three years for a program legend and the fact that it's one bad year – and he made a couple of bad bets. I, I just don't see how you do that. I wouldn't do that if I was a decision maker. If I was Dolson and Buckner and company, I wouldn't do it.
5: I, I'm, You know, you put your eggs in the wrong basket, period, right? End
0: of story. We'll come back. Wrap things up next. It's Quarry Company, 93.5, 107.5 The Fan.
5: The Jay Cook Plays of the Day. This is me, all right? I'm not a athlete. This is my way. This is how I win.
1: Today's plays of the day. It is not the Champions League, but it is the oldest national football competition in the world. The FA Cup resumes today. Manchester City takes on Luton Town. We'll take Erling Holland of Manchester City as an anytime goal scorer. Luton Town? Yes. Where's that? Have you heard of Luton Town, Derek? They actually. Is that part of your Sega Baba? (laughs) Luton Town? Yeah. Is that in Germany? They're one of the smallest clubs in all of the Premier League. Oh, then you should like them, Derek. They just got added last year by promotion. Tiny but mighty. Indeed. Luton, <laughs> Lutonburg is that what it is? Luton Town. Okay, uh, sorry. Uh, in, town. In, in college basketball, we'll scoop the three and a half. Is on Luton Kentucky. Town a town, or
5: is that a part, uh, like a, a part of London?
1: I, it's it not a, a part of
5: London. It's not a part of London. Okay. Uh,
1: anyway, Kentucky plus three and a half. Scoop that as they're on the road against the Mississippi State, and we'll lay the four on the Wisconsin badges. They are at Assembly
5: Hall tonight. Against the Hoosiers. Now, Derek, do you know what the scooping stuff means? I mean, you're all into the hip lingo.
0: Scooping? I've not heard that. Scoop it up like take it, right? Take right, it right now before points. it moves.
1: Well, no. it's So they're getting points. So I'm going to scoop those points up. Four and a oh, half Oh, I thought you dogs. meant
0: like scoop the bet up no. like, before the line shifts a different way. Okay. That makes sense. I actually like that. See, this is what you need, Jake, though. You need the youth on the show. Eddie, do you have anything? I do. I've got you. i I'm taking Shivano healed over 12 and a half points and Chris stops Porzingis over one and a half Three pointers, all right. Porzingis, the unicorn. I was all in on Porzingis when I was still kind of emotionally invested in the Knicks as being the next big thing, and I mean he's been a good player. Don't get me wrong. Who did but you pick last night? Under, me remember? and Eddie forgot we dropped the ball. I apologize. Money line. Who did I tell you to take on I, the money we, line?
1: I, Eddie asked me this last night. I totally forgot. They're so getting nine. Who did I tell you? I don't remember.
5: Plus three thirty is what they were juice was. They're fighting basketball. camels. Who are the Fighting Camels? Campbell? College basketball. Campbell. Yeah. They were getting nine. Plus I told you money line, right? Plus 330 on the money line. I couldn't, Wh-
0: couldn't why recall do I if know? it was them or if it was Missouri, Missouri Valley State or whatever who got their first win last night. Missouri Valley State? Uh, they're not Division Mississippi One, Mississippi right? Valley State. Mississippi Valley yeah. State. That's what it was, yeah. Because Detroit Mercy had beaten IUPUI so and they got their, on first their first win.
5: Way, on their way to Kalamazoo, Exactly, right? yes. They, are uh, well they low low. can't way be if they're winning. Here's good point yeah they're they're backing their way out of kalamazoo probably last night campbell the fighting camels taking on unc wilmington campbell was a nine point dog i said take the money line all day long i know nothing about this and i told you vegas ain't built on people winning campbell last night a five-point winner congratulations well thank done. you That's what
0: i, How do. does I that feel? is that your first successful bet
5: I didn't bet on it. I
0: just no. I mean, like on the show, or does he? It's play, the first does play he, play he nice? occasionally jumps okay. in and gives us a play.
1: Usually, it is uh, of this variety. Hey, uh, yeah, listen. Uh, Cal State played last night. You know what the line was? And Real it's usually go back to Jake's newsroom days. Someone calling at eleven o'clock at night asking yeah. for a <laughs> score.
0: And it's usually based just on mascots, right? That's why you brought up the fighting Pretty camels. Much, yeah. yeah, I, I would yeah. think that you're not a big person into that. We went to a casino once in one of the Final Fords that we went to when that, that waitress at the beer garden was not a fan of yours. <laughs> that was in New Orleans. Um, yeah, that was in New was Orleans. Like a Har- it was like a Harris, I think. I think, I think it was. Right. Yeah, that
5: was in New Orleans. That was where we saw the guy that was on meth making pizza on Bourbon Street, right?
0: We did. Yeah, he
5: was having the time of his life. <laughs> he, he was. Nobody yeah. else was, but he was, right? The be- the, my
0: favorite Final Four story is seeing Bob Huggins just completely by himself wandering around San Antonio. We ran
5: into him like 9 Several times. times. He was
0: like the photographer in the omen. He Every time we turned a corner, Bob him.
5: Huggins was right
0: there. All the other coaches like Izzo, even Painter, had like an entourage of people with them and it was just it was just huggy bear like eating a turkey leg. Down in on the river walk in San Antonio. It was great. <laughs> yeah.
5: That uh, that is a true story. Thanks for so having me fill fun? in today. Yeah, I did. I'll let you round it out. How's that? Since you've just taken things over anyway.
0: Sure. Well, thank okay. you for saying that. Jake, I'm so grateful and blessed to be here on a live microphone and have the opportunity to fill in on Jake Quarry's show. I'm just so, so lucky. Thanks, Daddy. Thanks to Jimmy. Thanks to all of our great guests today. The ride with JMV is next. Stay tuned for that. 107.5 the fan.